You've seen those movies where they say, make my day, or I'm your worst nightmare. Well, listen to this one. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Ha! You didn't know I'm gonna say that, did you? Your move, creep. Everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Film Feast podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bledsoe. Uh, this week, we're continuing our series on the retro hero movies of the 90s with 1991's The Rocketeer. Uh, to help me talk about it, I'm joined by someone you last heard on the show talking about the guest with me. Um, you probably heard him on Schlock and All and Cobwebs podcast. Uh, it's Preston Mitchell. Preston, how you doing? Matt, I'm so good, man. How are you? I, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I will tell people uh, we had technical difficulties completely on my end. And I was like, <laughs> getting a little frustrated, but no, I'm good. I'm happy now. We got all, you were very patient. Uh, and I'm excited to talk about this movie because it's, uh, it's delightful, I will say. I'll just say right away. <laughs> it's, it's a blast. So, well, literally and figuratively, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's so much fun. Seriously. It's, it's so great. So, um, but yeah, how uh, I, I think the guest was not that long ago that you were here. I think a couple months. Uh, how have things been since then? Oh, things have been well. Things have been really well. Um, it, it's it's been really cool, um, kind of looking back on that and coming back to Film Feast here. Like you've had a lot of like really so much great content since then. And I mean, obviously prior to that, but like I lo- I've loved your own Scottables. Um, your your uh, your episode on Con Air with with our friend Lindsay Wilkins, like that was the the final push in getting me to to watch Con Air for the first time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and man, that that movie that movie's awesome. Uh, like uh, another aerial movie that uh, we're talking about tonight. But uh, yeah, no, that um, yeah, no, that that movie's so much fun. Um, but it's interesting. Like uh, I'm coming back for another throwback movie in the middle of this throwback series that you're doing, and uh, I'm just elated to to talk about this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that I'm glad we got you. To put, I'm so happy we got you to watch Con Air. Like that really warms my heart. You have no idea. Like I'd forgot you posted about that on Twitter, and I was like, if we've done nothing else good here, we got someone to watch Con Air for the first time, which is really, <laughs> really an accomplishment, I think. Uh, so um, I'm so glad you enjoyed. I, I realized I listened to that episode. I was like, man, I feel like there's so much more I could have said about Con Air. Um, it's like I just there's so much to discuss about that movie, but um, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is another throwback. The guest was a throwback to '80s. This is definitely a throwback to like, '30s, '40s serial type movies, and um, we'll get into the whole history of it, and everything. But uh, before we talk about the Rocketeer, um, I know we have stuff we've seen lately uh, we want to talk about. So, what did you want to talk about first? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, it's it's been it's been a very interesting like uh, movie watching kind of like. Uh, situation on my end um so i'll um i'll start off with um definitely the one that i i have the least to say that about and i think that's to the movie's benefit oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> i thought that was going a different direction when you started that sentence like the least to say about it. i was like oh, that doesn't sound good 
<laughs> no, no, no. I, I actually really love this movie. Um, it's called Faces. Uh, it came out in 1968. It's directed by John Cassavetes um, in his directorial debut. And um, it stars uh, John Marley um, as a, a middle-aged gentleman who, um, whose marriage is on the rocks with his wife, played by Lynn Carlin. And uh, if you don't know who John Marley is, John Marley um, is best known as um, um, the Hollywood mogul who's who's uh, who's who wakes up to a horse head in the first Godfather. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And uh, and Cassavetes literally like pulled him pulled him into this independent, aggressively cinema verite, uh, very raw black and white filmed production where not a lot happens in the movie. Um, be, because literally it, it, it literally begins with a lot of dialogue, a lot of chatter. Um, and then after, uh, Marley and his wife, uh, Lynn Carlin get into an argument, they break off into their own separate kind of affairs while they're married to each other. And, and on John Marley's end, um, he, uh, he's messing around with, uh, a, a really young Gina Rollins who was married to Cassavetes, um, and is electric as this kind of, uh, I believe she's a call girl in the movie. Um, um, uh, I don't want to go as far as say pros or no, sex worker or, or something, something of the sort. Um, and then on Lynn, Lynn Carlin's end, uh, she ends up meeting a very young Seymour uh, Cassell at a party who's best known uh, to to many, probably best known to to most people nowadays as uh, Max's dad from Rushmore. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, he was he's, also. Oh, he was in Dick Tracy. He's uh, his like Dick Tracy sidekick, Sam Sam Ketchum. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, it, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> it's so weird, like seeing him in a. It's my first time. It was my first time seeing him in a pre '90s movie because he's such like this like hair slicked back like babe. Where he's like really like just just cut all the way like he looks like uh he looks like uh uh like like almost like tyler durden in a way like from fight club where it's just like okay you're like crystal from from stone dude wow um yeah cheat on your husband dude i get it um <laughs> but no it's just this very small scale very intimate movie that um i was in the mood for because uh you know, I, I, you know, we all kind of consume a lot of genre film, I think in our little, little group we have going. And, uh, sometimes I just want to watch people just sit around and talk like that's nice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, faces, <laughs> faces was, had been in my HBO max queue for a while. That's where I streamed it. And, uh, it, it's called that because like a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, the movies comprised of a lot of close-ups and whatnot. And, and, I, again, like there's not a lot, to, not to, not a lot to say about the plot because the plot is about as thin as it gets. But what it, what makes up for that is the the really interesting camera work, the direction, and the performances. Like, I mean, Cassavetes, it's clear that he's just a master of bringing acting out of his uh, his thespians, um, which makes sense because he was an Oscar nominee actor himself. So, um, and it's very improvisational and just like which gives it an unpredictability. Like there's some moments where like characters will argue after they've like been dancing and then they'll end up just like fucking and then go back to like right. talking. <laughs> and and it, it feels more like a, it feels more like an eighties William Hurt movie than a sixties movie. And I mean that the best way possible. So, yeah. Okay. Um, 
I have a secret like a movie. I don't know what cinephile shame. I've never seen a John Cassavetes movie. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, it's your, okay. Oh, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Was this your um, first John Cassavetes? I didn't. If you said that, I'm sorry. I didn't. Or no, so it was his. It was his directorial debut. So it's my third overall. Okay. I, okay. Yeah, I had never seen a Cassavetes movie until um, kind of the the start of 2020. Um, and I just started like mainlining a bunch of stuff. Like I, had, uh, so I've seen uh, the killing of a Chinese bookie. Um, and, uh, I've seen Gloria, which I really, really enjoyed. <clears throat> uh, Chinese bookie I thought was cool, but, um, it's a movie that I need to revisit because I think I ro- this is such a, a weird problem to have, but I, <laughs> but I, but I literally watched the wrong cut. Um, okay. Like the, yeah. I have a question about this. I'm sorry to cut you off, but cause I got from HBO recently and I think they have both cuts on there, or I'm not sure. There's there's a director's cut I think that is shorter than the the original cut, and I have no idea which one to watch. So which cut did you watch? <laughs> like, so I watched the theatrical. So I watched the shorter cut. Um, okay. And because at the time, so it was literally the first movie I watched on HBO when I had it, um, oh, okay. and I was like, oh, so they have '70s movies. Oh, I've never seen Killing a Chinese Bookie. I I, I love film noir. Let me let me check this out and. It's, it's funny, like, it was like the movie wasn't holding my interest very well, even though I watched the whole thing. Like, I wasn't used to the whole jazz style of, like, just people talking and the, the movie's clearly improvised. And uh, the, the lead actor, Ben Gazzara, I thought he was, was really, he was really excellent. Um, but, at the, but I was left going like, huh, what, the, what was that about? That guy made a lot of dumb decisions, okay. Um, <laughs> And then I saw Gloria, which 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 um, was a little later than that. I want to say that was 1980. And uh, excuse me. And Gloria is is basically uh, Gina Rowlands playing a gun mall, who um, basically is uh, who goes with a, a young kid who the mob wants, and uh, it's her basically out like outsmarting the mob for an entire movie. And that movie really spoke to me. I was like, okay, now I'm here, you know. Um, and uh, it's not, and this is not a movie that he directed, but um, a good friend of mine, uh, Nathan Williams, shout out to him. He recommended me Mikey and Nikki, um, which is not a Cassavetes directed, but Cassavetes had a lot of influence on. So it's this kind of like buddy crime, small scale noir story with like Peter Falk and uh, uh, Ned Beatty and actors like that. It, it leads into a very explosive uh harrowing uh conclusion oh okay um and it has this dourness to it and, and that and i feel like watching all of those prepared me for faces because <laughs> yeah like i mean cassavetes is a very slow filmmaker he's very methodical but for some reason i think it was because like of my experiences watching these other movies and again guys i will i will give the director's cut of a, a bookie a chance because there was a lot of stuff that i had questions on doing the theatrical but this one much like Gloria, really clicked for me. So I think I'm becoming a Cassavetes fan. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I was just the other night. I was looking. I was like, wait, which cut is supposed to be the better cut of Killing of a Chinese Bookie? And I, uh, I I didn't know. I was like, I thought I heard something where the like, director's cut was not the better cut, but it sounds like that was wrong. So I need to check that out too. So now I know which one to watch first. Um, yeah, because I, I I think I'll start with that one for Cassavetes because everything I've heard about him sounds like it might not be my thing. I'm not like I'm. I'm, I'm <laughs> Like, or I have to be in the right mood for it. I know it's like his stuff sounds like it's very, you know, dialogue heavy and very like 
it's it's a little right. slower probably uh paced and um you know i gotta be in the right mood for that it could it could work but i don't want to you know uh watch it and kind of be like oh i can't do this right now <laughs> you know so um no right. i have a bunch of it to check out so that's uh, that sounds pretty good um uh and sorry i was, was gonna ask i can't remember what i was gonna ask but anyway so um <laughs> that so uh what else do you have <laughs> Sure. Um, so um, I, I took it upon myself last month to kind of blow through the rest of um, my Bogart and Bacall set from Warner Archive. Like, uh, so, uh, and thank God for Warner Archives, as I'm sure, you know, uh, so many <laughs> listeners agree with, like, they're, they're, they're amazing. And uh, they assembled this, like, Blu-ray set a, few, a couple years ago um, that, that includes The Big Sleep, which is still my favorite um, to have him have not, which is a close second for me. Uh, I love that movie as well. Um, but also um, Dark Passage, which I really loved. And then the movie that I, that kind of finished it off that that's my number two for tonight is uh, Key Largo. Um, Matt, have you seen it? No, no, I have not. Um, I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. It's all, it's all good. Um, it's a really cool, really great film noir that I think would be so up your alley, especially if you like, if you like the the John Huston Bogarty type of noir, oh, John Huston directed it, by the way, um, who also did uh, the Maltese Falcon and the Asphalt Jungle, Treasure Sierra Madre, a lot of a lot of magnificent movies uh, from that time. And Key Largo is dope, man. Um, it uh it stars Humphrey Bogart as an ex GI. It's very post war um, after World War II, and um, he goes to um, a, a spot in Florida to um, to pay respect to um, his his late war buddy's widow, who's played by Lauren Bacall, and obviously being a, a Bogart Bacall vehicle, you know that they're going to fall in love. Despite mm-hmm. that, <laughs> <laughs> that's just the 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 the, the move. Um, and uh, and the cast is is really, I think the cast might be the strongest of the four movies, just because um, her father is played by Lionel Barrymore, who also is a uh, best known as Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and so he's, he's bonding with him as much as he's bonding with, with her, um, in a different way, of course. Um, there's a really cool kind of like, uh, paternal thing going on with, 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 with both men, both male characters, but then, um, the hotel they're staying in ends up being, um, they, they discover that there's gangsters, um, in there who are led, who are led by Edward G. Robinson, who's kind of doing his, his pre-code gangster thing, but doing it at the, near the end of the forties. Um, and he is electric in this movie. Like he, he toys with like everybody who he's sticking up, um, just like talk shit about them, belittles them as he's basically trying to prove to them um, that even in a post-war climate, he's still the man and he can still get one up over them. Um, and Humphrey Bogart comes into play because of course, him doing his shtick, he always has something smart to say. I mean, I think my favorite line in the movie was when uh, he catches G. Robinson in a lie and he goes, uh, when your head uh, says one thing and your whole body says another, uh, your head always loses. And it's just like, oh, classic <laughs> Bogart. Um, but it's a really it's a really tight 100-minute noir um, where the climax is, uh, not a huge spoiler, but the climax literally takes place on a boat and it's like uh of this very claustrophobic kind of action scene and i was really impressed by how they pulled it off in the late 40s and yeah i mean 
I recommend all four movies overall. I think they're all really fantastic in their own way, and uh, especially Key Largo. I thought that was uh, that was wonderful. Nice. Actually, I see. I it's in my list. So at some point, I was like, I need to watch Key Largo. Um, and I do. I I like Humphrey Bogart. I haven't seen enough of his movies. Uh, when Daniel, I did an episode, I think last year on here that was like film noirs, and then I gave him like early two thousands action movies. <laughs> it was like oh, random. that's right. Uh, that uh, I was like, I gotta watch more classic noir because they were all great, and The Big Sleep was in there. Um, and yeah, I I need to watch more noir and Humphrey Bogart in general, and John Huston, all three. So I should really should really knock this out at some point. <laughs> I think Houston would really speak to you. Um, I'm just going to say more so than Cassavetes, it sounds like. Just, <laughs> Probably, just, yeah. Just because Houston, for one thing, I think, um, like, everything I've seen from Houston is just really entertaining and super quick, which, um, like, the whole old movies thing of, like, people saying, oh, old movies are slow and, and they're they're overly talky, like, you know the 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 dialogue part might be true for for Houston's noirs, but like in Key Largo's case, everything is so snappy, and it's like every other scene is someone talking shit to each other. That's amazing, <laughs> and, and even in the in the moments where it's not, like uh, I forgot to mention uh, Claire Trevor from uh, the movie Stagecoach. She won an Oscar for this movie for basically playing um, Edward G. Robinson's like kind of flame, who appears later in the movie who's like um who has visible drink drinking problems and she has oh, this wow. very heartbreaking like singing scene um that i thought was just it was one of the most powerful things i've seen in film in a long time uh, honestly and so it just he he surprises you he really does and his movies are dark and but they're still fun i can't quite describe it but they're they're <laughs> they'll make you feel bad one moment but you'll have, be having a good time the next it's very interesting okay yeah i, I think i need to check that out um also, now that you've said Key Largo, I have Kokomo by the Beach Boys stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> like, Montego. Uh, no. <laughs> hey, it's a bop. Uh, it's a good song. I don't care what anybody says. That song is very catchy. Uh, but <laughs> so shout out to that Full House and the Beach Boys performing on there. Uh, <laughs> it's a good episode. Um, oh, boy. I'm, just, I'm out of it tonight, Preston. I hope I'm not saying too many ridiculous things. <laughs> like, I'm goofy. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Hey, I think it's perfect for the movie that we're we're doing. So that's yeah, awesome. okay, good, good. It's been a long <laughs> week, so yeah. <laughs> but, um, oh, well, yeah, I that sounds that will get bumped up my uh, priority list. I think Kyogo because that sounds kind of like a thing I would I would definitely enjoy. So, um, uh, and what what else have you seen? Oh yeah, um, well I was telling you a little bit off mic that uh, this past weekend, like uh, I went to the movies for the first time in a while, and. Uh, it was literally between um, a certain aerial movie starring Jennifer Connelly that's in theaters right now. That's not the Rocketeer. Um, <laughs> and it was between um, Crimes of the Future, which is my uh, which is my uh, the, the, the movie that I went to go see. And and part of it was because, like, I wanted to support the small movie for a change because um, I was like, I'm not sure how long this is going to be in theaters. You know, it's the opening weekend, but like Cronenberg is not the mainstream's cup of tea um, outside of a couple of movies, I suppose. Um, and then also like, like I had never seen a Cronenberg, a Cronenberg movie in the theater. And uh, um, of course, I don't want to get into spoilers, um, but literally the movie more often than not blew me away consistently with just how, I think the difference with this movie uh, from a lot of criticisms that I hear of, of uh, Cronenberg's work is that 
his movies are criticized for being too cold, being distant, too clinical. And with this one, the, the character that uh, Viggo Mortensen's playing um, is all those things. And he's juxtaposed in a relationship with Leia Sado, who is a surgeon. So she should be more clinical than Viggo Mortensen, but she ends up being the most tender, emotional, emotive, <clears throat> excuse me, um, individual in the whole film. And uh, if you don't know what the movie's about, people, uh, what I can say is um, it's, it's set in a world, uh, a synthetic world, where humans are adapting to um, have adapted to kind of the transformative um, uh, modes of technology that, that have become very endemic to the universe to the point where different people's bodies are mutating in very different ways. Um, and there's a mysterious group of twins who is, is or a mysterious group specifically, excuse me, um, who's going after, who, who goes after Viggo Mortensen in a, in a way that you don't quite understand yet. Because uh, Mor Mortensen and Sado are uh, performance artists who tear his growing organs apart and eject them out of his body as a part of their a, a part of their show. I hope I'm explaining this uh, decently well. By the you're way, you're doing good. It's hard to explain. I was like, you're doing great because I you're doing better than I could. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and 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 basically, the movie deals with so much heady stuff, like from human evolution to obviously aforementioned technology, to um, uh, being a Cronenberg movie, there is a lot of horror, there's a lot of sex and violence. Um, and uh, there's a great, uh, there's a blistering score from uh, Howard Shore, who, uh, oh, yeah. yep. who's worked with Cronenberg plenty of times, like on Scanners, The Fly, and Crash specifically. In fact, this score reminded me a lot of Crash, to be honest. And I mean, obviously the MVP that I think if, if you if you're on if you're anything active on social media and you've heard of this movie like you know that Kristen Stewart's in it she's not in it a lot but it's almost like she's doing a parody of what Kristen Stewart haters hate her for and I <laughs> fucking love that about her performance in this movie oh, yeah. um, and she's so just like overly nervous and neurotic and so funny in her scenes like the, and the movie is honestly really funny uh to me but that that's because i have a sixth of humor but uh uh <laughs> but yeah matt did you see this i did i we talked about it a little beforehand i'm kind of i'm kind of reserving thoughts a little bit because uh carmelita and i are doing a cronenberg movie in the not too distant future and i was gonna talk about this a lot more on that episode um first we're talking about cronenberg but uh i did like crimes the future um it has a lot going on. It has a lot of ideas that it's kind of juggling. <laughs> like, and I I don't know how well it gets, it gives them each time. And there's a lot of characters. Like, um, mm -hmm. I almost kind of wish it was, I can't believe I'm saying I wish it was longer, but I kind of wish it gave a little more time to breathe some of these ideas. Like, I feel like mm -hmm. Kronenberg had a lot on his mind. It really, I told somebody this too, it really feels to me like, when I was watching this, I'm like, this is like the most Cronenberg thing I've seen in such a long time. Like, and it reminds me of like De Palma. Have you ever seen Femme Fatale by Brian De Palma? No, no, it's been on my list in such okay. for such a long time. If you've seen a bunch of other De Palma movies, it's like I feel like it's a late career movie from a guy doing like not not like his best of or greatest hits, but it's just like everything he does in one movie in like a late career type movie, and you're just like, wow, this is just him doing his own thing like it's like he's being influenced by himself basically at this point it's like um 
And I feel like the crimes of future Cronenberg is like so Cronenberg that it's just, <laughs> it's just the most him you could imagine. Like if I an AI dreamed up a Cronenberg movie, I think this would pop <laughs> out. And not to install the movie, I think it's still really good. Um, right, yeah, right. Cronenberg had on his mind. I think the performances are all pretty good. I, I'm glad you called her Kristen Stewart. Fucking love her. <laughs> She's like such a little freaking weirdo. She's such a little like somebody. Somebody else said it on Twitter, I think, where it was like. She's doing that Weasley little like science scientist character who's like a little creep, it, but like it's always like a little guy, and she's doing it like she's doing the female version of it, where it's like this little mousy kind of weird lab yeah. assistant who's just like just a little weirdo. <laughs> I love it so much. Like, um, I I mean, I laughed and stuff too. It's not, uh, um, I think overtly funny. <laughs> <laughs> but like some funny <laughs> lines at one point Vigo Mortensen says I won't say who he says it to but says it to somebody where he's like how does he I, it's like I'm not good at the old sex or something because <laughs> like <laughs> surgery is the new sex I mean that just sounds like a Cronenberg type line like you know that just is so the yeah, inner beauty pageant the inner beauty pageant yeah that, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of wild stuff and again just so nice to have a new Cronenberg movie in 2022 when yeah. we, I, we haven't had one since I think 2014 uh maps of the stars i've never actually seen maps of the stars i've never seen cosmopolis either um which are two later movies but i've heard mixed things i'll probably i i realize only i've only missed like i think four cronenberg movies so i'm really close to finishing up his filmography so i'm probably gonna knock that out soon um and uh i think it's good yeah i think it's good and it's like again like a, a year we've had a lot of i think good like original movies like different yeah. stuff coming out and uh Fun to see in a theater. I always love seeing stuff like this in a theater. All, they really, the pre-press release stuff about like people vomiting, walking out. I think that was way overblown because I don't think, I don't think it's even that disgusting. Like it's not, it's not like the brood or even Videodrome. It's, no, I don't, no. it's, you know, yeah. I just don't think it's even that, dis- maybe I'm just so desensitized. I don't know. I was questioning myself. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what kind of shit have I seen? Where I'm like, yeah, this is pretty mild. Um, no, because there's still some pretty wild stuff in this movie. And uh, um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I will point people to, uh, it's already out, that uh, Carmelita was on Filmstrip, pod, the Filmstrip podcast with Jay, talking about Crimes of the Future already. They did an episode like the weekend after it came out. Um, and, and it's a, excellent. It's a great it's Great episode. listen. It's a great listen. Uh, there are two pros at podcasting. So I, and, and Carmelita loves Cronenberg and they had uh it was funny because when jay read like what happens in the movie i realized i had not put some stuff together <laughs> about the ending and i was like oh that's what happened like i felt like a real dummy i was like oh i didn't even get some of the stuff that was going on because again so much is happening but they did a great rundown of that movie and uh yeah i mean it's cool i, I i'm always happy to have stuff from guys like cronenberg you know because i thought he was kind of retired i didn't even know like for a while there um because he's about to be 80. He might be 80 already. I don't know. And like, he hadn't made yeah. a movie in so long. I thought maybe he's done. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I dug it too. It was a uh, good choice seeing that and not Top Gun because Top Gun's not going anywhere because it's making all the money. So <laughs> you'll be, yeah, you'll yeah. Be fine. And I, I want to re- like, I know a bunch of people are yelling at me right now, Preston, go see Top Gun. I, I assure you, I, I will see it soon. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the the cool the last thing I'll say about Crimes of the Future, I think, to your point about it kind of being Cronenberg cubed, as it were, um, where like if you were to Google like what is the most Cronenberg Cronenberg 
could possibly be like it's literally this movie (laughs) um it mutated itself but no um it's interesting because it felt like like uh like Kristen Stewart was like 90s like a 90s Cronenberg character like the type you'd see in Existence or Crash and then yeah yeah. Lea Doe was like she reminded me a lot of like Gina Davis in The Fly like even some characters we'll see in like The Dead Zone and then um Vigo reminded me of like something you'd you'd see in like Scanners or The Brood like that early raw um super canadian horror low budget ass cronenberg who's just like okay this is clinical and here we go kind of thing and and their three energies in addition to them those three just being tremendous actors anyways like it really um it was really cool to see that synergy take take shape so yeah even if you don't love the movie i think it's worth seeing just for that yeah and and I think the fourth lead would be Scott Speedman, who's a guy I have not seen anything in years. And I was, yeah. like, I was like, wait, the guy from Underworld and that triple X sequel with Ice Cube? What the fuck? Like, where has Scott Speedman <laughs> been? Uh, and he's really good in Crimes of the Future. I mean, I, I think it's he's it's tough to go against, you just named all the great actors in this movie. And then like, but he's good. And I haven't seen anything. And I was like, holy shit, Scott Speedman, where have you been? And uh, um, it gets good. Yeah. He has a, a thankless, important role too. Sorry to cut you off. But. No, you're fine. That's, I mean, that's kind of what I was going to say too. It's like, yeah, it's, he, his role is like not as flashy. It's important, but it's not. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, like, he, Kristen Stewart's definitely doing way more acting than, than Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I would also put it. She's really going for it. But I, I love it. I, I was I saw people criticizing it, and I was like, "Oh no, 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 no! This is a perfect like, weirdo <laughs> performance." Like, there's times people can do stuff where you're like, "Okay, they kind of derailed the movie, or they went a little too crazy." I think she's like playing it perfectly. And yeah, I, you name some things. I really do feel like it's some kind of mishmash of like Existence, Crash, and Videodrome. That's the three I kept thinking of the most when I was watching Crimes of the Future. Agreed. Um, especially Existence, which the movie I think. I, is really good. I don't know if it's underrated in his filmography. He's had so many good movies, but like um, something specifically really felt like they were ripped right out of that movie. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's, yeah, people definitely see it. If it, I, I assume it'd probably hit streaming soon. I mean, most things do now, like if you miss it in theaters, but um, it's good. It's, it's really, it's yeah. a neon release. So it's gonna, it's gonna hit, I predict it's gonna hit Hulu pretty soon because the last couple of movies I watched on Hulu have been neon releases. Oh yeah, that's true. Like. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and I saw a lot of people on Letterboxd saying they thought it was boring and giving it low ratings. I'm like, I don't know how anybody was bored because I was. I mean, there's a lot of talking, but I thought it was so fascinating because there's so many ideas at play that it's just like, I, I was never bored. I was surprised to see that criticism pop up multiple times for Crimes of the Future. I didn't. I didn't get it, but you know, to each their own, I guess. But I just I was pretty um enthralled for most of the time so um yeah yeah I, it's it's good so i'm glad we both enjoyed that so um, oh definitely yeah um I, I guess it's my turn uh if, if you know anything else <laughs> but um uh okay i have a movie that i think would be right up your alley if you have not seen it yet uh have you ever seen the swimmer from 1968 Oh man, Matt, that's one of my favorite movies ever. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> this is perfect. Um, <laughs> I just watched it. It was like a really, I feel like it was a lame reason. I was, I, I was on like, I had some days off from work. I went to the pool for the first time uh, the summer season. The pools were open now. And, and then I was like, I got home and I wanted to watch a movie. And I it was like, 
a swimmer. That's on the nose for me. I, just, I went swimming in a pool. Um, that's how simple it is sometimes. Some people's like, all right, cool. Um, and uh, I've been wanting to watch it forever because it's come up multiple podcasts that I enjoy and uh, mm-hmm. never heard nothing but praise for it. Um, if people haven't seen it, it's like, it's very, very strange. But uh, Burton Lancaster plays a guy. Um, basically, it starts right when he like hanging out at some friend's houses. Uh, or friend, a friend's house and swimming in their pool and hanging out with them. And he just kind of has the idea, like he looks kind of down the the way, it's kind of on a hilly area. And he's like, oh, I could, I could swim all the way home because everybody has a pool in their backyard the way to my house. And they're like, okay, that's a weird idea. We'll go for it. And, <laughs> and, uh, and he just jumps in the pool and then he keeps having these interactions with people at each pool he stops at. And I would say it gets stranger and stranger as it goes along and um has a surreal <laughs> quality to it um burt lang i'm so mad that burt lancaster was like in his mid 50s his early to mid 50s when they made this and he's in better shape i've been in my entire life <laughs> he's like, <laughs> uh, i was like he's 53 or two when they, like what the f-? like he uh <laughs> It's amazing. It's insane. And he and he has spent a whole movie in like little swim trunks. So he, I guess he had to be in good shape. But um right. he's so good in this movie. Like he's it's an, an amazing performance. Um I was blown away by his performances and the movie in general, because it's uh it's so strange. Um directed by Frank Perry, but it looked like it was maybe uh I think it was taken away from him at some point, and Sidney Pollock came in to finish it up. Is I I read the story and I've already forgotten it, but um, Sydney Pollock directed a uh, a scene. It's the I believe I want to say it's the scene between him and Kim Hunter that that he directed. Oh, near the end, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's a great scene. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he swim. He kind of goes along, and you start getting more and more into his life and what's going on, and something's definitely off, and uh, uh, the interactions are not all good that he has, and uh has kind of this weird dreamlike quality and like as it goes along you're just kind of getting more information and where it ends up was kind of like aha like you know it's kind of like you kind of (laughs) see it coming in a way or you know have an idea of where it's going doesn't make it any less great i was yeah i was pretty blown away by it it was pretty wonderful um i did not know it was a repair movie so that's that's fantastic Well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that uh, it's less about the destination and more about the journey. And that's where your enjoyment came from. Because yeah, like, I mean, once you start piecing things together and you start figuring out what this guy is possibly about, you know, you're like, okay, I I can kind of see where this is going. But the movie is so, and I think that's where the weirdness works for, for me is that the movie is so trippy at points. The movie is so discordant between... Lancaster's performance, the way characters react to him, and just the the crazy, almost uh, post French New Wave stuff that Perry's doing with the camera, in the direction at points that you just can't help but be enraptured by it, and it's so haunting and hypnotic the whole time, um, and it's it's pining for for something, and you don't always know what it's pining for, but I but it's that kind of longing uh, for this deeply flawed human being i mean that's not a spoiler just because i feel you had to be a deeply flawed human being to just like swim from pool to pool and uh just, <laughs> <He's> just <laughs> trespassing yeah he's like <laughs> just breaking people's backyards but you're like this is a cool idea like you know um they're probably cool with it but yeah it's it's people's reactions are interesting because everyone reacts to him differently i feel like and um 
yeah, just what a you know, it's so weird. Like you could definitely tell it is influenced by that uh, the French New Wave, and like that it's that late sixties thing where movies were getting much more exper- experimental and. Um, right it's very obvious that was going on and uh yeah i mean i think it holds up pretty well because uh, yeah it just is so weird and unique that it i don't think it really has aged much because it's not uh, it's just such a uh, strange movie that i've never really seen anything i've seen things like it but everything quite like that you know what i mean it's like Mm -hmm. it's this weird thing i don't know i was really I was really taken by it. It was it was pretty great. I I, I thought it'd be good because everyone talked about it, but I, it really held up to the <laughs> lived up to the billing. I would say <laughs> so. Yeah, it was pretty pretty fantastic. I was th- I, I was I knew I was to talk about this episode with you. I'm like this has to be a Preston movie. If he hasn't seen it, you need to see it <laughs> immediately. I don't know why. I just felt like you'd appreciate it. So <laughs> no, I, I I'm a big Lancaster guy. Like he was an actor I I got into pretty late uh, into my formative kind of movie movie going um kind of discoveries when i was like in like college and stuff like that but like the more like like i yeah that was when i saw the the swimmer was in college and uh much like you i was blown away by it just because it is adjacent to a lot of stuff that you're familiar with but the way that's assembled is so original um it 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 really is and at the centerpiece i mean you have a guy who i mean we made jokes about you know how in shape he is but like he he really did like him and kirk douglas were kind of the first few actors who really were responsible for making their physicality a part of their performance um and popularized working out um to 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 be a part of the movie star image because before that you know you had you know the the more everyman types like the jimmy stewart's of the world so yeah, I mean, and, and I think that comes into play here um, just because it's more believable that a man like that would do something as wild as swim from pool to pool and not, you know, an everyman's per se. So, yeah, and, and I'm mad. I'm so glad you liked it. Um, like it, it like right now, I feel like Lancaster in the movie where he goes, you loved it. You loved it. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh man yeah that's such oh that's such a good scene now that you mentioned it. like it really it's just the way that it breaks this guy down like that you get into his like what's going on with him is so good like it's so oh man such a good movie so yes everyone check out the swimmer it's great um I, it's not streaming anymore. i just paid the renting i felt like watching it but uh um i think there's like a nice blu-ray out there from i can't remember what company but i was reading about the blu-ray because i think i might buy it pretty soon and i think they even said there's like a a documentary that's like three hours long about the whole making of the thing and i was like oh wow that's that sounds pretty intense so um yeah it's but it's great though i kind of want to watch it again now we talked about it so um uh and from that i only have one thing to talk about but from one movie i loved and another movie i loved uh top gun maverick yes Preston, you do need to see it (laughs) soon as you can i'm glad you saw crimes of the future first because i don't know when that's gonna that might not be around long, but uh, holy shit, Top Gun Maverick is amazing. <laughs> like, and everybody had just like built it up to me to an insane degree, where I was like, "There's no way I can live up to all this hype." Like, and I had, I just had to wait like a few days after it came out. Like, I think it came out on a Friday, and I didn't mm-hmm. get to see it until like Tuesday, and it was agony waiting those like extra couple days. <laughs> I was like, I was like, "Oh my god, I gotta see Top Gun." Um, so good i don't even i'm just gonna sit here and just lose my mind over it because i i <laughs> like uh i've made no secret on this podcast that i'm not the biggest fan of tony scott's top gun and i i mean i love tony scott but uh if i'm gonna go watch a tony scott movie top gun's not the first one i'm gonna reach for i'm you know more of the 
post 2000s Tony or even 90s Tony. And uh, but obviously huge movie for his career still had a big cultural impact because I talk Mavericks making all the money in the world. So um, I think, yeah, it's a weird for Tom Cruise's career too. Oh my God. Yeah. His biggest box. I couldn't believe it was the biggest box office ever. I'm like, he's had so many big movies and it was like his biggest opening or something. Um, And I, oh boy, it's so good. Like I, I left the theater on like an adrenaline high, which I could not remember the last time I felt (laughs) so amped up leaving a movie. Like I, was driving home and like speeding my little Toyota Corolla. And I was like, like I'm in fucking Top Gun over here. And, uh, <laughs> like I gotta get nine G's to get over the mountain or what, you know, it's like, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm in a Corolla. And uh, uh, I was playing the soundtrack on the way home. Like I was oh, blasting wow. the music. I, oh my God, I couldn't, I physically felt so pumped up afterwards. I really, and it was like late at night and I just wanted to like go out and like run around. I just was like, I got all this energy. <laughs> like, how do you do? I drove around for like a long time just because I didn't want to just go home and like go to sleep. I was like, ah, I'm so amped. And um, I, I it, it's so good. And it's so funny. I know this has been like a big point of topic, I think on Twitter and like, I mean, everyone's really loving it. Some people have pointed out like, you know, we just so starved for just normal like blockbusters that were like kind of are we overrating top gun a little bit i don't think so because i think top gun would have still been a great movie 25 30 years ago or maverick mm-hmm. i mean top maverick, it would have been great that long ago i just don't think we would have appreciated it quite as much because people were eating so good all the time that like you yeah. know and now you get a good meal this and you're like oh my god this movie is just like oh it's like i don't think it makes any better or worse it's just kind of like you know, we, we haven't had a movie quite like this. I mean, it has like, even has a big, like sexy pop ballad to go with it. Like I miss like movies had like big songs to go with. Them. Oh wait. So they, so they really do do a throwback to the original in that way. That's, that's yeah, kind of cool. You, the, listen to the, the Lady Gaga song. Hold my hand is so good. I've actually been, this is, I'm so head over heels for Top Gun Maverick. I've been watching the music video for the Lady Gaga song, like a bunch just to get like my fix because it has scenes from the movie. <laughs> Um, I'm just like, yeah, this will be, this will fix like Top Gun addiction. Um, and, uh, it's a very good song. It, I mean, like, this reminds me of like, you, I feel like the nineties is kind of stopped after the nineties where it was like, you know, you had like Armageddon, you had the Aerosmith song. I don't want to miss a thing. You know, you had big ballads. Con Air. Con Air. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> without you. Yeah. It's like, you had these big songs for the movie. I mean, just something like that. It's like. I miss that, you know, like I, the Marvel movies don't get big songs attached to them that I can think of, you know, it's like, um, yeah, I think the only one I can is Black Panther, like, uh, the SZA song, oh, uh, but that, yeah, that's yeah. literally it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just a different thing that we've had in a long time. And, uh, I mean, on top of that, I think it's just a really great movie. Like it's just so, it's so mm-hmm. straightforward in what it does and executes it so perfectly. It's like, it's like, okay, here's our characters. Let's set them up. Here's what they got to do. Let's set that up here. Here's them executing the thing. We've, we've shown you very clearly what they need to do. It's not comp- like it's to us. It's like, we've, we've been with them through the whole process of knowing what they have to do and how difficult it is. <laughs> so when they, when they go to do it, you're like nervous. And these are real people that could die. They're just humans. I know that's been a thing too. And like, mm-hmm. of course, like the superhero movies have stakes, obviously, but it is different when it's just like, these are just people who are like, of course, they're like the best pilots. I mean, this is like the Michael Mann philosophy of like, I just want to <laughs> watch people who are really good at their jobs be really good at their jobs. You know, it's like, so it's mm-hmm. like they get all the best pilots to do this mission. And it's like, um, 
we just watch like these great pilots try to do this insane thing they have to do and like uh, how difficult it is. And it is a little bit of like, you know, Tom Cruise, uh, Maverick is awesome and he's still awesome. And, you know, it's a little bit of like, <laughs> you know, um, a little bit of that. I'm sure Tom Cruise put that in the script, but you know, it's like, I buy it. it works. Um, I, I don't know. Everybody's really great. The cast is really good. Um, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I don't even know. Joseph Kaczynski, I'm so glad he got to direct something like this because I've been a big fan of Tron Legacy for a long time. I think that's a very underrated movie. Um, have you it's seen good. Con- yeah. Oh, yeah. I, it's really good. Yeah. Really well made. And they never made a sequel, which makes me upset. And uh, I think he's a good director. And I'm glad he got a huge shot like this because he does a really good job. There's wonderful Tony Scott homages, which almost made me weep. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. They put me in memory of Tony Scott credit over like a, a sunset on the horizon i was like oh, oh bravo wow. i was like yes i was like oh man um it's wonderful it, i it completely like played perfectly for me i'm sure it you know just like it played on my emotions and it worked and uh um oh and jennifer conley who i love uh and we'll talk about it in the rocketeer but uh it's like she's you know as beautiful as ever and uh i love her and <laughs> I love uh, i'm gonna say it a lot on this episode of rocketeer just get ready everybody. um uh i don't know i'm i'm head over heels this freaking movie i love it <laughs> like um and yeah i i uh, so i can't encourage you to you know enough to see it as soon as possible <laughs> so oh yeah. yeah no i i i've had a, a number of friends uh for the like every like for the past week be like Preston go see Top Gun I'm like I know I know like just let me let me let me get settled <laughs> let me get my ducks yeah. in a row no uh, I I um just hearing your enthusiasm I mean it's so palpable and of course uh Daniel Epler our friend who was here on the show last yeah, week yeah like, he was really talking it up and I hadn't seen it yet <laughs> Yeah. And, and so it's just like, literally, it's like y'all are just passing through the, the enthusiasm. I mean, hopefully next week I pass along to someone. I'm like, okay, I've caught the, I've caught the Top Gun bug. Let me, let me pass it on. Uh, but I mean, I love, I love Tom Cruise, especially this era of him. It's so fascinating because I believe Christopher McQuarrie uh, had a, has a co-writing credit on the script, if not a story credit. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And, and McQuarrie and Cruise, like it, them two together is such a match made in heaven that I never, that I, I didn't really see coming until, um, I think it was like uh, Mission Impossible uh, Rogue Nation, which is one, still one of my favorites in that franchise. And of course, like the way that you're acting is how I came out of Fallout. I was just like, oh, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is, this is, this is, this is action euphoria right here. This is, this is what we need. And, and it's, it's cool that Top Gun is continuing that tradition. Um, it, it, and I think it's really cool. Just granted, I haven't seen it, but like Mission Impossible, I mean, it's literally in the title. Like they're super spies. Like they're they're real people, but like they they're heightened. And I think it's cool that we have a blockbuster that that is about you know people and having real stakes and what I can tell real romance. I mean, even to the point to where you have like a ballad. Like I think that that's <laughs> that that just tickles my nostalgia right there. And uh, much like you, uh, Top Gun's not a movie that I particularly I'll just say it like it's not a movie that I care for. Um, I came to it very late and I appreciate what it's done in history. I appreciate what it's done for its actors. Um, Of course, I love Tony Scott too, but my Tony Scott is like more 90s on. Um, And and I, and it's that movie's always felt to me like a a dry run for uh, movies that did Top Gun better. Um, 
but yeah um but no I'm, I'm super excited for maverick i mean at the very least uh i'm just glad that a movie that people aren't you know killing each other over on twitter and and online um is is doing well so yeah yeah, it's. I feel like it's bringing people together. It's like, like I kind of. I think before we start recording, I was like, people who don't talk about movies with me have been bringing up Top Gun. Like, um, I feel like everyone's seen it. Like, I got my mom and stepdad to the theater, and they hardly ever go see movies in the theater, but they went to go see it, and they said they loved it. Like, it just seems like it's it's uh bringing people together, which is great. So, um, I'm always happy to see that kind of excitement for for movies, and it's like. It's it is funny because it's like a typical kind of Hollywood blockbuster, but for some reason it just feels fresher right now. It's like um, and plays so well on the big screen. Like I'm so glad I went to go see it in a theater. Like because um, I'm sure it'll still be great at home. But like it's one of those movies that like yeah, Tom Cruise was right to fight for this being shown in theaters because it's just a, a different experience that way. Like it's so good. I, I don't even know what I'll say about it. <laughs> so um, yes, I can't wait to hear your thoughts when you finally see it. So. Um, so I mentioned Jennifer Connelly. Why not just <laughs> keep this Connelly renaissance going uh, in the Rocketeer? <laughs> I was so happy that happened on Twitter too. That was like everybody was talking about her and Top Gun Maverick. I'm like, yeah, people, I've been around since '91. Like, I, you know, glad <laughs> you're all catching up. Um, but no, I'm glad she's back in something big because um, I feel like her acting roles have been less frequent the past maybe ten years, maybe longer than that. Like, she kind of appears in less stuff. I know she's been on that show, like Snowpiercer for a few years and yeah. pops on things here and there, but like, it's very great. She was like the lead in, in Top Gun and uh, Rocketeer. So let's move on to that. So I'm curious about your history of this movie because you are a little younger than me and, but it sounds like you've still lived with this movie a very long time, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I was, you know, I was, uh, um, I, I am a child of the, of the 90s. <clears throat> Like I, my, my childhood was really the, my, I came of age in the early 2000s, but I, of course, I was born in the 90s. So like, I, I have that connection to this movie because this was one of the, the earliest movies that I remember played a lot on the sci-fi channel uh, before the sci-fi channel became contingent on asylum movies. <laughs> um, back when they showed, uh, back when they showed real, real masterpieces like The Mummy and, and The Mummy Returns. Um but 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 in all seriousness though, like this is one of the ones, much like the Frasier films, that I watched a lot as a kid and I and I adored. And um, looking back on it, I even said this on Twitter when I was uh, watching this again last night, for the first time in a couple of years actually. Um, what was it about this movie that appealed to me as a kid? Like I like I feel like before I I I like watch this every time as an adult. I'm just like how the hell did I watch a movie that's based from the thirties and the forties <laughs> um, that, that, that has, you know, Nazi super spies and fascism and Howard Hughes popping in every once in a while. Oh yeah. Because all those things are awesome. Um, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I, I wish I had a better recollection of how I came to this movie, but literally it was one of those just TV reruns that my brother and I would watch together. And, uh, I've carried with me for years and, and um, you know, when, when um, the way that this movie plays into the Marvel cinematic universe, very indirectly, but still importantly, in my opinion, definitely has made it a pass around movie for me when people talk about underrated movies of the nineties and close friends of mine who, who don't, who still to this day probably uh, don't even know if this movie exists and are surprised about 
its existence. Like I'm always like, no, watch this movie. It's super, super delightful. It, it really does. I, I think what works so well about it, <clears throat> I'll just go ahead and get into it is um, it came out in the wake of Tim Burton's Batman. Obviously the series that you're doing with film feast, the, this kind of nineties, you know, radio movie character serial kind of, <laughs> kind of trend that was going on that's still really weird looking back on I think what works about it is that it doesn't it's not going for Tim Burton's Batman as far as his vibe it, it really is genuflecting to the Richard Donner Superman but whereas Superman 78 was really kind of taking something from the 30s and updating it for for a new generation this is really diving head deep like excuse me that was a that was a wrong term head first <laughs> into it's late people uh, <laughs> it's it, it's diving head first into the the goofiness and the the romanticism of the 1930s and 40s like it, it really does uh it really does go knee deep into like uh, the doc savages and the shadows and the the betty pages and and that kind of uh basically what a lot of us who who love old hollywood movies now like uh go to those movies for which is the romanticism of it that's what this movie is and it indulges itself in that and i think not only is it my favorite movie of this move of this kind of micro movement but it's it's hands down i, I think just one of the greatest adventure films uh ever made post raiders Wow. Yeah. The, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, pre it's pretty great. I don't you know what that's like. It's, it's funny. Cause the whole, this whole retro hero, uh, you know, weird era that we've been talking about. I, I, it's funny. Cause I was thinking like everyone, it's like comes after Batman and comes after Dick Tracy. And I feel like everyone kind of pinpoints Batman. I think Batman's a reason that they kind of green light some of these movies, but I, I feel like they're weirdly more influenced by Dick Tracy and they almost feel like they're trying to recapture more of Indiana Jones magic than, than Batman type feeling, you know, it's like this adventure, all kind of adventure movies, like especially this and the Phantom, the Phantom is, feels very Indiana Jones to me. <laughs> like, um, Oh yeah. And I, I feel like they're chasing those things. I think Batman just kind of gets the, kind of gets the ball rolling. Um, and then they kind of, it, then they're like, well, let's all let's all be like Dick Tracy. Let's all do like old school, <laughs> you know. Like I said, I think of the last like kids love uh, old cars, or you know, it's like it's like kids kids love the '30s and the '40s, <laughs> like Tommy guns, Tommy guns. <laughs> I was yeah, a lot of Tommy guns in these movies. Like I think in every one, I feel like somebody wildly shoots a Tommy gun at some point. I was thinking about this. I'm like, I think everyone there's definitely Tommy guns being fired in every one, and like someone might grab one and just kind of laugh like a maniac and fire one but um uh <laughs> it's, it's a real theme but uh yeah it's uh it's interesting because rocketeer is kind of the oddball of these four movies like um because dick tracy is a comic strip starts in the 30s the shadows a radio show i believe from the 30s or the 40s i'm blinking right now and then uh phantom's an old comic book and uh rocketeer actually uh is um was made up in the early 80s uh was a comic that someone wrote as a throwback to 30s and 40s stuff and they bought the rights to it like uh pretty quickly but nobody no studio wanted to make it for a few years like it was just dead right. in the mid 80s and like nobody it's so funny because superman 
did well i right and it's like but it's yeah. weird nobody was like ah no more super movies like i thought superman was like the only superhero that could make it and then batman did tracy come out and they're immediately like okay let's make this rocketeer movie <laughs> um and apparently the source material is like a little more adult and the plan for the movie was to be a little more adult it was going to fall under the touchstone picture um uh department of disney which is you know obviously a little more uh, like P13 R-rated movies, a little more like edgier. And um, then again, I think with like how popular Dick Tracy and Batman were, they were like, wait a minute, we could <laughs> we could kind of market this a little more toward kids. And they did like a full marketing blitz and and played it down a little bit. Like uh, um, Jennifer Connelly's character uh, in the original is like a nude model or something. And they were like, let's just tweak that to be actress. Like they were kind of little changes <laughs> like that. They're like, let's dial that back to get that pg and uh well she was and, a pinup girl in the uh in the comic i believe and her her name um i have it written down it, it was it's it, it her name is based on the pinup model betty page yes yeah um yeah. and uh so yeah no i thought that was that was interesting also uh because yeah once once it it kind of seesawed from touchstone uh, to just full-on disney uh that was like one of the first things that they decided to sanitize um and that comic, um, which I uh, unfortunately I've never read it, but like I've heard about it for years, just being a, a um, kind of a lifelong fan of this movie. And it sounds like a kind of like a like pre League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, just with like both the comic and the movie, how they each call out different figures in history um, and literature. I mean, literally, there's a scene between. Uh, Connolly and Timothy Dalton's character where they're interrupted by W.C. Fields. Right. Um, and as a kid, I didn't know what that meant. I just no, thought, oh, this guy's, yeah. you know, this guy's funny. This guy's funny. <laughs> and now I watch it now and I'm just like, oh, he's he's making WC Fields jokes, type of type jokes, basically. And and that's really cool. And of course, like there's God, there's so much uh, nostalgia in this movie. I mean, there's um, I mean, Alan Arkin's character, I think in the in the Doc Savage like books or comics or whatever, like uh his character is kind of um, that type of character, like that old mad scientist character uh, creates um, weapons and stuff like that. And so they, Stevens adapted that for the comic, which Joe Johnston, who directed this, um, of course, made that Alan Arkin for the movie and kind of made that, made that kind of the, 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 the Alfred to his Batman, if you will, um, mm -hmm. which I always think is really interesting. Yeah, I there. Um, I love Alan Arkin in this movie. I think he's he's oh, so good. <laughs> uh, he's great. He's so like lovable and uh, like perfect for that part of like I get yeah. Like you said, the Alfred is Batman's like a perfect uh, analogy, and um, I love their dynamic. Him and Billy Campbell, like uh, it's they're so much fun together. Um, uh, and Joe Johnson, who I, you already mentioned, and you kind of alluded to it with the the marvel connection because he directs captain america the first avenger um which is still one of my favorite marvel movies i love captain america the first avenger <laughs> like oh it's a, it's in my top five it, it's it, it's yeah it, it's interesting because uh before i say what i'm about to say like i don't like it when well i don't like it whenever like people praise something by giving by throwing shade at another thing but um, I have to say this because I do find it interesting that it's like every time I rewatch the first Avenger, I love it more. And then, and I feel like it's still kind of underappreciated to this day. Whereas 
um, anytime I watch Captain America Civil War, it's like I like it less. I still like it, but it's it's like it's like I'm seesawing with the Captain America movies. And then of course Winter <laughs> Soldier is just still my, like one of my favorites. Period. But yeah, it, it's it's like so much of the style of the first Avenger that is Joe Johnston is is kind of like doing again since the Rocketeer. Like it's it's it makes that movie just visually pop and there's an earnestness to it that's comparable to this movie's tone. Um, and it's interesting, like, just like the MCU is criticized heavily nowadays for its homogeneity at the expense of its artistic expression. And, but yet to this day, I, I feel like not enough people exalt the first Avenger enough. And, and I'm not sure if that's because um, it's overshadowed by Iron Man and the Avengers, you know, being a part of phase one or, um, people just don't give Joe Johnston the respect that he deserves as like one of the, I would argue he's one of like, he, he's a very interesting that guy director. As you, <laughs> I was going to bring this said. up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He definitely kind of fits the, he's a journeyman director for sure. Kind of fits the that guy thing. He didn't do was he didn't do like really any horror movies and like, he didn't really do any like down and dirty, like action, you know, already action movies, but he's definitely been kind of all over the place and done jobs. Like, you know, he just took jobs. He's a journeyman director. But, like, I was going to go into his filmography because, yeah, you, he's totally a that guy director. But um, it's I, I think he's pretty good. I mean, overall, like, I think he's had some misses for sure. But, like, oh, yeah, he's a solid director. Um, and he, he's good at, like, this, like, an earn, he's like an earnestness. Um, it's funny when they said he was going to direct the Captain America movie. I'm like, oh, my God, perfect choice. Because, like, I knew he directed yeah. Rocketeer. And I was like, yes, that is fantastic. And um, well, he funny. got the well, yeah. he got the Rocketeer uh, from doing Honey, I Shrunk the Kids uh, two years before, which was a huge hit for Disney. Huge. So he's had a relationship with them for a long, uh, quite a long time. I mean, I think Captain America was before Disney bought Marvel. But at the same time, I, j- I still find that connection to be uh, to be pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah, he. Uh, um there was another director i didn't write the name down but there was another director on rocketeer who uh he fought with them over the creative differences of the movie and then joe johnson's like swooped in apparently joe johnson really wanted the the job on rocketeer because he was actually a fan of the comic so he like jumped right in yeah. as soon as the, it was open he was like like a guy getting like a girl's messages when she breaks up with a boyfriend <laughs> he was like <laughs> hey you okay i'm here i'm here uh like and good for him because he Rocketeer, oh my god, I do love this movie so much. Like it has <laughs> this real, like aw shucks, gee whiz quality. <laughs> and that could be corny. I don't think Rocketeer is really corny though. I think it really rides that line of like just being like genuine and heartfelt and like feels very like authentic, but it doesn't cross into like, oh, this is stupid or corny. I think there's probably some little there's enough weird touches that keep it from getting that way. Like, um, the whole the character of Lothar that like oh yeah amazing <laughs> we'll get more into that and uh Timothy Dalton playing like such an evil bastard <laughs> this like secret Nazi who um I believe yeah I saw our friend Daniel Epler put I think in his letterbox review I was reading when I was reading about Rocketeer that he's playing Timothy Dalton is so the movie's good and Timmy Dalton is great as the villain of basically an evil version of Errol Flynn, who's secretly a Nazi, who's like so over the top. But yeah, apparently there was a rumor that Errol Flynn was secretly a Nazi. Apparently it was based on a real thing. 
Yeah, no. Um, so <laughs> that's that, proven, I think. But at the time, they didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was debunked. Like uh, I want to say a few years after this movie's release, but yeah, there was a huge autobiography, um, a hugely successful kind of. Oh, I can't say autobiography because he died before the '80s. But <laughs> sorry, people. Uh, but there was a there was a biography that was published um, about Flynn. Um, I think in the '80s, and uh, it kind of perpetuated the myth that. Um, Flynn was uh, was uh, part of the Nazi party and was moonlighting as a, a Hollywood swashbuckler to to cover up for their plans and 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 the movie's having a lot of fun with that notion um, and I think Timothy Dalton is perfectly cast here like I think it, like Dalton I think is really good particularly in this and Hot Fuzz especially of like oh, yeah. <laughs> I love him in Hot Fuzz. He's so good. Oh, I, he's so good. I mean that that I mean that gif is iconic at this point uh, with Timothy <laughs> Dalton. <laughs> I feel like that's the most iconic image from the movie. But um, but no, like he um, he's able to you to take his handsome good looks and inject it with such such a smarminess to it. And like I mean, you see in that beginning scene with Paul Servino, uh, where um, uh this mobster and his and his crew they come in to see neville sinclair the actor who timothy dalton's playing and and uh they're and they're just like wait a minute a rocket what are you talking about he's just like well you know no literally this is a thing (laughs) and 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 just the way in which he just sneers at like just everyone around him like especially um these you know these gangster men um just makes him such a snively bad guy and and you love to hate him in this movie and he's so good at it but th- then also when he's roping in uh jennifer Connolly with his charm mm-hmm. you know they establish early on that she you know she works in the, she works in the industry like you know in very small bit roles like she wants to be an actress and her favorite movie star um opposing james cagney oddly enough is is timothy dalton in the movie and so they they set that up really well through humor um and so when he finally kind of ropes her in through his through his charm you really do buy it and um even though the age difference is is very is is a thing and, and, <laughs> yeah and i had he, to look he, that up i was like wait how big is the gap here yeah <laughs> like, like 25 years i think if i remember right um oh wow yeah she's, think, she's young in this movie she's, she's super like 20 young. it's insane like 20 or 21 like i don't know when they exactly shot at hold she was but yeah and like even her and Billy Campbell don't feel that far apart because I think he seems a little younger and she seems a little older. Like, I feel like they meet in the middle. Like, I would think they were both probably like mid-20s, but he's like 30 and she's like 20. But I don't think it feels like a huge age gap between the two of them. But her and Timothy Dalton, I was like, I think there's a bit of a gap here. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I it's, uh, I, yeah, that's, it's, he is, he is something this movie. I remember him going, Timothy Dalton going bigger in this movie. Like he still he still goes pretty nuts. I mean, spoilers, everybody. His death scene is like <laughs> very over yes. the top, but I really love it. He's just falling from this, you know, from the Zeppelin with the jetpack on, it's blown up, screaming and flames, and just like it's it's very over the top. But uh um, I wasn't lying, I was just acting. Yeah. Oh, that's one of my favorite last lines of any bad guy ever. Like, I just, <laughs> I love that so much. But then he dies a terrible death. So it all, it all works out. <laughs> bad man. Um, uh, I mean, it's easy. Like, he's a Nazi. It's easy. Like, yeah, we don't like this guy. <laughs> like, um, I, I remember as a kid, like, I don't, I was so young when I saw this. I don't think I knew exactly what was going on because 
I think I saw this, I was like five or six. So when she finds the mm-hmm. room, like his secret little Nazi room, <laughs> and I was like, I don't think I got it. I mean, it was framed as like, he's evil, <laughs> but I don't think I even knew what a Nazi was at that point. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, bad guy. I mean, it was all coded for like, yes, he's bad and uh, he's up to something. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, well, I, I think, it's, yeah. Well, I think that's the beauty of this kind of subgenre that we don't get enough of nowadays. Um, um, because like, you know, uh, a few a few weeks back, you know, um, you and again our friend Daniel were talking about the Mask of Zorro, which which is which is kind of the ultimate '90s swashbuckler, in my opinion. And yeah, you get all these movies that kind of genuflect to that era, and and I think that's kind of the beauty of it for kids, because again, having gone a couple of years without seeing this, again, I was just like, why? Again, like why did why did I, you know, as like a, a like a, a four or five year old, why did I take so much to this this period superhero film um, that that's about people flying in the air and, and awesome shit like that, but it's about mobsters and just Nazism and and <laughs> and, and, and yeah. government conspiracies. Old movies that I don't know about, like old movie stars. Like I was watching this thinking like this was aimed at children, but it's weird. It's like well, with Dick Tracy we talked about. Like, yes, this is clearly aimed at kids but it still has these weird elements where you're like but was this for children <laughs> like it's just it's weird it's it's a bizarre time but it was like this is what we were given and we we gladly took it and we're like yeah thank you <laughs> more retro superheroes please uh it's like, i'm in um well well yeah. what i was gonna say to that was like i think that's the appeal of like star wars and and indiana jones and 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 other other films that are based on those serials it's like no matter how batman superman like no matter how young you are like you're gonna take to these things and be able to elevate with them as you age and get new things out of them because at at the end of the day you know like i said batman star wars indiana jones like on the surface they're very simple um i would say deceptively so like they're very much combinations of what would what made up the Saturday afternoon matinee movies that you know our favorite directors directors grew up on, essentially, and they're kind of they're being made with that in mind, and I think that's 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 what this is. It's it's Looney Tunes. It's 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 that like because as a kid when I was watching those old cartoons, you know I didn't know who um, necessarily who uh, anytime Bugs Bunny would run into. James Cagney like I didn't know any of that stuff like <laughs> yeah, yeah you know when I was watching Animaniacs as a kid I didn't know you know I didn't know that Good Feathers was Goodfellas but I you know yeah but like I ate yeah, that yeah. shit up you know and, and that's that's what this is like we're, we're we're talking about this movie tonight and we're digging into these these nuances that should not work for kids but it's such a well-crafted exciting in my opinion, I think the pacing's amazing on this movie. Like literally, like it was like every 30 minutes I kept, cause I kept having to, to you know, do stuff um, in the middle of, of, um, of pausing the movie. And anytime I would pause it, I'd be like, dude, like that's another 30 minutes. And then finally it was like, it felt like literally less than two hours. Like I was done. I was like, whoa, like that was, that movie's a breeze. No wonder I, I, I love this as a kid. And it sounds like you did too. Oh, I did. Yeah. I mean, it's one, it's, it's like one of the earliest movies I can remember watching, honestly. It's like, it came out in 91, but I probably didn't see it till like 92 at the earliest. I would have been five. And so did you see Dick Tracy before this? Probably because that's another movie I can't, I, that came out earlier. And I feel like 
I remember even that one being around like in my life before the Rocketeer, although memory is obviously very fuzzy when you're like three, four five years old, but it's like, right, I, right. I don't like remember that movie not being around. And I have photos of me, like preschool pictures of me and like a Dick Tracy t-shirt. So I think I was clearly <laughs> into it. And, uh, and I'm sure I saw Rocketeer after and, uh, listen, we can just get into this now. Uh, Jennifer Connelly was like <laughs> life changing, life changing for five, six year old Matt. Like I was, I was like, maybe these girls aren't so bad after. <laughs> it's like changed my whole worldview. Um, she's a she's beautiful. I, I like she. I think she like she set the tone for me also for like my type in life. I feel like that's all the people I try to kind of crushes on. Like dark haired women. I mean, it really, it really like did something. It really, it's like, um, I said to somebody recently, I was like 1991 Jennifer Connelly. It's hard to like who, like one of the most beautiful people that's ever lived at that point. And she's still beautiful, but like, like 91. And have you ever seen a movie also from 91 called career opportunities? You know what? No. And like, I, I didn't hear about this until like uh, someone shared, I think a, a picture from it, or like maybe it was a photo shoot uh, around that time uh, on Twitter. Uh, um, like, a, like, I think a few weeks ago. And I was like, what is this movie? Like, huh? So yeah, I know. I, but, I, but I've been, I've been, I've been curious about it. Um, I, I, you know, what's funny. I give it a very light recommendation because I don't think it's a very good movie. <laughs> I really don't. I'm sorry to anyone that really loves it. I didn't grow up with it either. I caught it way late, but I was like, oh, it's Jennifer Connelly at, you know, Rocketeer time. Yes, I will watch this. And, uh, <laughs> I, even John, John Hughes wrote it. He didn't direct it, um, but John Hughes oh. wrote it. And even he kind of like distanced himself from it. Um, he, uh, he just didn't think it turned out very well, I don't think. And it's a weird movie because uh, if the basic premise is like Frank Whaley, who I think most people know from Pulp Fiction, who's the guy who gets the gun pointed at by Sam Jackson, the, you know, the op- near the beginning of the movie. Right. And right. Uh, um, he works at a target. So I feel like targets were like a novel thing in 91. It was like a oh, target. What's that? <laughs> um, and he gets like an overnight job and uh, it's, you know, it's a crappy job, but he like can do whatever he wants in the store. Cause it's just him by himself in the store overnight, which is a fun premise. And then Jennifer Connelly gets like locked in there with him somehow. Like, I think she's like hiding out and, um they're locked in the start the target together and they he has a thing for her already he has a huge crush on her and mm-hmm. so it's them kind of like falling for each other even though i still have a hard time buying that she falls for frank whaley no offense but i just i'm like i mean anybody <laughs> would be hard to <laughs> believe but yeah you know anyway so it's like that that's like, like the first i buy time. tom cruise with jennifer connelly i buy yeah tom i buy cruise. tom cruise and jennifer connelly but frank whaley i don't know and uh <laughs> Like the first half of the movie is like all that stuff like the setup he gets a job they get locked in they, they do stuff like rollerblade around the store it's all fun that's a fun that's actually pretty fun then it goes into a thing where like guys break into the store and they have to it's like almost like a home alone situation i don't know it's like it's just oh, not wow. as it's not a very good movie honest i don't think and people are probably really mad at me right now but it's just, i don't think it's a very well put together movie um the reason to watch it is jennifer Connolly because again she's beautiful and it's like um <laughs> She's a lot of like looking, her looking into the camera, I feel like, and like just staring into your soul, which I mean, who doesn't want that? And she's like, <laughs> uh, you know, so it's weird too, because we're on a real tangent here. Sorry. But like, uh, it, I know it's a weird thing on YouTube where like, I was looking for a song this like two years ago that I had heard and I was trying to find the song and somebody had put the song to clips from career opportunities. And I was like, that's a very random choice because Career Opportunities is not like a very 
I don't think well-known popular movie. And like, then mm-hmm. it kept happening. And it was like, why is everybody in different songs? Like everyone's taking, taking career opportunities. And it fits really well. It's the funny thing. The song I was like, <laughs> you, you, you almost would think that it was meant to be like it was in the movie, but it's not. And uh, I might send it to you afterwards. You'll probably be like, I want to see this movie now, but uh Yo, um, I, I actually am like he was like. <laughs> you, what began as a light recommendation, I'm kind of like I, yeah, I, I feel like watch I make it now. So. The good news is it's under 90 minutes long. I remember that, so that's always a positive. Nice. So you won't waste too much time. Um, but yeah, so many people have used clips and career opportunities to do like music videos for unrelated songs. It's bizarre, but it sounds like, like the B movie of the 90s. You know, like it's that movie that's so memed now. <laughs> yeah, there is that really <clears throat> famous gif of her like on the little like a horse you would ride like as a kid like at a kmart or like whatever like you put a quarter in and ride on that there's like a gif of her like in a white tank top wait like, is that from career opportunities that's from career opportunities yeah okay wow okay <laughs> preston's like i'm watching this tonight uh, <laughs> matt we're ending this podcast um i think i've talked myself into watching it again now like i watched i get my fix by watching the song the music video are like on youtube and being like that's enough career opportunities for me but <laughs> um i don't know but yeah but back to yeah so she's gorgeous and rocketeer like just blew my mind at five years old and like um and I, the chemistry between her and billy campbell is actually really good and i it's read, adorable like it's and, so it, it's so it's 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 so <laughs> cute and so genuine and you buy that you I mean, just through her beauty alone, like you buy like, okay, why he's so in love with, with her and why. Yeah, that's well, easy. No. Yeah, no. Well, because immediately before she even is in the movie, like he gets into, um, he gets to the plane right before it crashes and like he has the picture. So like yes. already it's that Steve Rogers moment at the end of, uh, of, oh, of, yeah. of the first Avenger where uh, he has Peggy, that picture yeah. of Haley, yeah, Haley Atwell. So Think like, it's that, like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like Johnson, you know, he's he's thinking <laughs> forward thinking in that way. But no, like he you automatically get okay, like this woman's beautiful, but she it she, her beauty her beauty is like a pure beauty in that movie. Like it's it's in this movie where um it's like that young love that plays into the romanticism of the tone that you're talking about where it's not corny per se. It could be if it if it's if it was with a different lead man or a, a different a different scripting or like a different director but no like you really do buy their relationship and you buy immediately that whenever she is introduced that she she loves him as well because there's a a really great kind of uh i have it in my notes like i call it like young mark hamill meets young gary cooper thing okay that billy campbell's doing yeah <laughs> like he like he has the the stoic jaw he has like the the good looks and that kind of thing, but he is so, uh, he is such a, uh, um, um, a goody two shoes uh, and not cloyingly so like he has dimension in some way. I mean, there's that really great, really tense scene um, where um, those guys break into the diner. They're looking for cliff and uh, everybody in there is lying to get them off of cliff's tail, except for cliff. And so when it gets to, to Billy Campbell, uh, they're just like, do you know where, where, uh, uh, Secord is and 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 like you can tell that he's so nervous to where he can't he can't fib like and he's able to do so i mean he does so to jennifer connelly but that's to to not desecrate uh her image of him in in in, in his mind and and he doesn't want to disappoint her and and by doing that he disappoints her 
And that's a very real, raw thing to do in the romance. Whereas in that scene, he's unable to do so because he's put under pressure and he doesn't have the Rocketeer suit in that scene to, mm-hmm. to really know, um, to really know, uh, um, to really create a contingency plan. So it, I just find what he's doing with his performance to be very underrated. And I think it's kind of the secret key to making this movie what it is because I just can't imagine anyone else, even though Campbell didn't do, unfortunately didn't do much of note after this movie, to my understanding. Um, he's kind of the, the glue that really holds this movie together, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny because like he's not a household name and I was looking, he's worked a lot actually, um, okay. but he's never really been like a star after this like this is his starring uh role and it you know it, the movie uh, we're, it, we didn't talk about this yet but it didn't do that great um mm-hmm. cost like 35 million barely made that back went to like 40 made like 45 or i think cost 35 made 45 but they spent i think i read like 20 million on marketing uh <laughs> and um because they wanted yeah. to sell toys right oh they had yeah they had really like like blitz this whole marketing thing and uh it did not pay off for them they it did not um go like they wanted to which is unfortunate um although I do like you think lot, yeah oh sorry sorry um, yeah i, was just, I feel you... like it made a lot of money on like rentals and stuff like that but yeah it's like um did not do what they wanted to i'm curious like do you think it was a matter of like bad timing and like i know it came out the same weekend as robin hood prince of thieves which was a huge box office hit so i think that has a lot to do with it but do you think that because it sounds like Dick Tracy really connected with people. And I'm not sure, um, even though I, 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 I grew up on the other two movies that you'll be talking about as well, The Shadow and The Phantom. Um, I'm curious if like, what was it about Dick Tracy that hit and these other movies didn't? Or at least The Rocketeer. Yeah, I don't know. And that's, I'm glad you brought this up because the funny thing about this whole era is the only one that like really hits it big is Dick Tracy. The other ones rocketeer phantom shadow it's all like diminishing returns like um shadow made like i'm looking at it now because it made a little more than its budget but it's kind of situation like the rocketeer where it barely makes the budget back and it's like i'm sure that's on a win you know the studio never want if you you say oh they made 10 million dollars that that's not enough that's not a return on the investment so um uh let me see and phantom I know that did not do well. Um, yeah. And that's a <laughs> yeah. fun movie. I People, I think, by 96, I think they were really kind of over this whole thing. Oh, yeah, that cost, <laughs> that cost 45. It only made 17. So that did really bad. So at oh, least yeah. Rocketeer and Shadow, like, made their money. But I'm sure maybe marketing, they maybe didn't. You know, who knows? But um, they were not runaway hits. Like, um, Well, I think Dick Tracy, I'm thinking about it now. Like, it had a name attached to it, and it had Madonna. Like, Warren Beatty and Madonna... Uh, especially Warren Beatty, like he was still a pretty big draw um, back in like the late 80s. Like, cause I think Reds was like a, a just all, not even a decade before Dick Tracy, uh, which he won, um, which he got a lot of Oscar love for. So um, yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense now that I, now that you say all that. Cause I'm like, yeah, like the shadow, I mean, yeah, the shadow stars Alec Baldwin, but Alec Baldwin, um, has kind of a an interesting Sam Neill esque career in my opinion. Uh, that's probably a whole nother tangent um, <laughs> um, for that episode. But um, and then of course Billy Zane, I don't think was huge yet until Titanic, which was a year after The Phantom. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean now now you're saying all that it, it, things are making sense to me, but that's still. <laughs> 
yeah. I'm still like, man, like I wish more people would. I mean, I know the Rocketeer is past 30 years. Like it, it, it had its 30th anniversary last year, I believe. I don't know if you've heard about this, but did you hear that Disney Plus, like they're, uh, they're going to be uh, distributing, uh, I think it's either a TV show or a miniseries um where they're they're doing the uh the tuskegee airmen and and crossing out the rocketeer oh i did not hear about that that sounds yeah cool. yeah <laughs> yeah david oyelowo um is attached to it he's either producing or he's starring um um and and i mean that excites me because again like i think that if you're going to to be uh inclusive um in this era i think you know approaching that subject um in in a way that I suspect it's going to be very true to the serials and that it, they're more, it's more about the, the goofiness and the romanticism than, than being political. But I think if you're going to go a little watchman about it, I think that's really cool. And I think that's, that's a great way to update the Rocketeer. Yeah. That's interesting. Like an interesting spin on it. I'm glad they're just rebooting it at all. Cause I did, I didn't expect that. Um, oh, it was funny cause I'm looking at Billy Campbell's filmography and he's, he's worked a lot. I didn't know about this. There was, there was a Rocketeer show that was like a Disney Junior animated show just like a few <laughs> years ago. And it didn't last very long. And he did a voice on it as Cliff Secord as the Rocketeer. But I guess it looks like a little girl like becomes a new Rocketeer. It looks like very, very young kids. It doesn't look it's like a, it looks like a kind of like a preschool animated show. But I'd never right. even heard of this. It's so weird. Um, And that sh- I, I hope that show goes through. I haven't heard anything about the the new, the rebooted uh, rocketeer but uh, that's a good take on it because uh yeah i mean uh, it's it's funny with disney plus i feel like disney's revisiting so many of these franchises and movies that they're like what can we do you know to i mean it's sad that's kind of all in the name of content but it's like hey at least if you do something interesting with it maybe it'll work out you know it's like um it's like i'll take that that's good so um and they're doing yeah. a lot of stuff from the 90s as well like i mean yeah. i think i think i think we're all collectively at least me being a grumpy old man like i'm kind of over the <laughs> the uh the, the the just remake every movie from my childhood phase that they were in for a while and mm-hmm. now they're actually doing more interesting spins on it um uh at, at least that's what i gather um and yeah no i was out yeah no I, I just pulled it up the hollywood reporter they reported last august yeah david well david oyelowo was producing the reboot so yeah um and I think his wife is, is uh, yeah, his wife is producing it as well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. That's cool. Um, I feel bad. I didn't really quite answer the Dick Tracy question where you're like, why did that hit and these didn't hit? And I don't really know. I think it might have been the Warren Beatty factor. He was, like, not as big a star, I think, as he was, but he's still a big star. Madonna was very popular in 1990. Uh, mm-hmm. The It was very unique looking. I feel like it was easy to sell just based on how it looked. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. Um, because uh, I think Rocketeer looks great, but it's much more like standard looking. Like Dick Tracy, like nothing looks like Dick Tracy. It's, it's like no. a beautiful, insane looking movie, just primary colors everywhere. <laughs> and I guess the marketing just worked with that one. Like, I I mean, um, that's true. And it had a song attached to it. And yeah, it had a lot of stuff going for it. It had like everything felt very a like a list in that movie like everything and even like the rest of the cast is so star studded too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is, I, I guess, with Rocketeer. Uh, you know, Billy Campbell's not a big star. Nobody else. I mean, Timothy Dalton was Bond, yes, and mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, I guess that's he part was the of biggest it. name, like because uh, yeah. Paul Servino uh, was in Goodfellas, but uh, but 
but I mean, he's, he's almost a side character. And that's the thing about this cast is that it's a collection of really great character actors and they're all going for it. And that's one of the charms of this movie. Um, but yeah, I can see that in 1991, especially if you're a little kid <clears throat> um, who has a choice to go see a movie on the weekend, you're probably going to want to see Robin Hood uh, just because <laughs> Costner and Morgan Freeman and, and all those names. And um, also too, I mean, I forgot to mention that the, that, uh, the comic that The Brocketeer is based on was an indie comic. And um, it, was, it was always weird to just like, uh, put out an 80s comic that was so that was such an homage to uh, a bygone era and um, mm-hmm. which kind of ties into the trend of this movement that we're talking about <laughs> where like yeah. uh, but I but I feel like that's informed by a lot of these filmmakers of this time period who um, were still you know old enough to remember those times and growing up with the media of those times I mean because around this time you had uh, you had matinee, uh, the Joe Dante movie. You had Ed Wood by Tim Burton, and you just don't get movies. We really don't have movies like that anymore. Like now, we have a lot more like eighty and eighties and nineties throwbacks. Like we talked about that uh, when we spoke about the guests. Like that's very much the era that we're getting out of at the moment. And I think we're kind of segueing headfirst into nineties nostalgia right now um yeah i'm not ready for us to get like 2000s nostalgia i'm like no 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 that's too that's too soon (laughs) like uh, (laughs) it's age that people work on the movies you know it's like the guys in the 80s 90s were their childhoods were like you know 40s 50s and maybe the 60s a little bit and like now it's like people were 80s and 90s and like uh, it's gonna be weird when we're like reminiscing the 2000s like i don't even know (laughs) it's like what what is that culture um like the haircuts and oh man i'm not ready for that <laughs> i'm not ready either so uh, yeah I, I guess just people kind of pining for a certain time and yeah it's like i don't know people also i feel like with kids movies they don't give them enough kid they don't give kids enough credit for being smart and like can handle oh, yeah. stuff that's a little more adult or above their head then it doesn't only be dumbed down for them you know it's like um yeah and that's because i was know, so surprised by how many people actually die in this movie like i don't know if you've oh. actually like I thought about count, that, but there's a lot of there's some brutal deaths near the end in the Zeppelin. Like, yeah, well, even before that, like, uh, like that one character actor, I forgot his name, but he gets folded in half by by oh Jesus uh, by Lothar. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I was watching it. I was like, oh, okay. Um, what is his name? Oh my god, uh, he's in so oh. much stuff. He's just one of those guys that you're like, oh, it's that guy. Is, is that John Polito? It is John Polito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, he has okay. Such a distinct look and voice, and like. You're like, oh, it's John Polito. Like, it's just that guy. Um, a lot of good character. Ed, Ed Lauder, Terry O'Quinn. Uh, really like Terry oh, O'Quinn as Howard man. Hughes. He's really fun. Didn't know who that was as a kid. That went totally over my head. Oh, same. Uh, same. I appreciate that so much more now. Um, let, let's talk about let's talk about Paul Severino as this gangster. Um, Eddie, oh, yes. his last name? Eddie Valentine, who has my favorite arc in the whole movie. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> <laughs> he's working with Timothy Dalton the whole time. And they get to the end, and they're all at the uh, Griffith Observatory in California, in Hollywood. And uh, they're, you know, Timmy Dalton reveals he's a Nazi, basically. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, Paul Servino has the, the, listen, he's like, I'm a gangster. I don't make an honest buck, but I don't work with no freaking Nazi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, I ain't working with no stinking Nazi, which is by... <laughs> My, my, one of my favorite parts of the whole movie like he's like, he's like uh, buddy. yeah 
<laughs> no, he's he's like, yeah, like I don't I don't make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American. And I yeah. was just like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> One of those movies. I don't think of myself as someone who's very patriotic at all, but when you, that happens, I'm like, yeah, like <laughs> fuck those Nazis. It's, like, it's <laughs> an, easy, an easy thing to get behind when you're at that point. You're like, yeah, yeah, I love that line. Yeah, it's like I'm 100% American. <laughs> Like, it, what an amazing arc for his character. Like, I don't ever expect him to end up there. I just love that he's like, listen, I'm a, I'm a gangster, but I'm not going to work with a Nazi. <laughs> like, no, it's such a crowd-pleasing element of this yeah. movie that I don't think it gets talked about enough is the, like, I love it in a movie where, like, uh, where um, two people who are on separate alliances, like, they have to bond mm-hmm. over something that is much bigger than themselves because because later on in the movie like when it's that crazy climax of all those tommy guns um <laughs> he's like eddie ballantyne is shooting and then he's right next to uh, an fbi agent who's doing the same thing right next to him then they just stop and look at each other and they just start shooting again it's just like yes you're on the same side <laughs> oh, yeah. that's i laughed so hard at the moment this time when like the, the fbi guy and the gang start to work together they're shooting guns they look at each other like eh, look at us it's like <laughs> it's, like that, it's like that uh oh god um I'm totally blinking. Um, Paul Rudd thing when he was on Hot Ones, I think. And he's like, oh, look, look at, at us. Look at us. <laughs> look at the two of us. And it's like, I shoot Nazis together. Um, so great. Look at us. <laughs> um, did I, I don't oh, know if I ever man. told the story on the podcast that um, Ed Lauder in this movie, he's one of the FBI guys, that w- my family went to LA for a trip. It was actually my like senior trip after high school. Like I, They were like, where do you want to go? I was like, I'm a movie guy. I want to go to LA. I want to go see Hollywood. And we went to LA and Ed Lauder, we ran into him. Like, oh, and wow. we had an amazing interaction with him because we we were just walking around somewhere in LA. I don't know what part we were in. And walk into this random, like, almost like dive bar. Like, it was just like a little bar that seemed very nondescript. There was hardly anybody in there. And then, like, we're at the bar and just, like, just hanging out. And then, like, this guy walks up next to us. And he starts talking to my stepdad and he's like, Hey, how's it going? And he's like, Oh, hey. And he's like, where are you guys from? <laughs> I think you tell we were tourists immediately. And uh, he's like, where are you guys from? It's like, Oh, we're from Virginia, like Virginia beach here. And he goes, Oh, I've, I've worked out there before. And I think that I said, I was like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm an actor. And like, we didn't wow. no one recognize him at first. And Ed Louder, just very cool, very chill about it. He's like, my stepdad's like, what have you been in? <laughs> he's like, he's like, well, I've done, I've done quite a few things. He's like, I don't think he mentioned Rocketeer, which I would have been like, holy shit, Rocketeer. But he talked about a movie he did with like Sarah Jessica Parker called, I think, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. I don't know why he brought that one up. It's so random. He was like, <laughs> talk, he talked about Longest Yard. I think he talked about that one. Did um, he talk about uh, the Raw Deal? Like, because he's in that. I don't think he brought that up. I know he brought up Longest Yard. I know he brought up the Sarah Jessica Parker movie. I don't know why. Very random that I think about. It. He's in so <laughs> many movies. I'm like, that's what you brought up. But uh, super <laughs> nice guy. He bought, he bought, uh, actually, I couldn't drink. My sister couldn't drink, but he bought my, mom and stepdad drinks uh he was super friendly like he was just he was more into talking to us just about stuff <laughs> and uh i think at that point i still wanted to get into yeah because i was gonna go to film school he was i wanted to get into movies and he was like telling me like just you know like oh good luck with that and all this stuff and very nice guy like super friendly and uh was very chill very down to earth and yeah, huh. I, can't believe I haven't got that story yet, but I was watching the movie. Like, I gotta tell my Ed Louder story. It's like my one claim to fame. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was a, a very surreal experience. Afterwards, I don't think I I looked up his credits like after we got out of there, and I was like, holy crap, this guy's been in so many movies. And then I kind of like, it's a guy who has he's a that guy type of actor. It's like you know you see his face, you're like, oh yeah, it's oh it's him. And um, I think the only people we saw besides him, we passed by JoJo, 
actor slash singer Jojo. <laughs> you remember her? Um, oh yeah. Uh, and who was like a big teen star at the time. And she was in that movie RV with Robin Williams and, so, and some other stuff, I'm sure. Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay. And then we saw, we were on a bus tour. I think we were like in Beverly Hills and we saw Sam Elliott on a corner with like his assistant in like a suit. And we were, I was like, somehow I spotted him from pretty far away. I was like, holy shit, it's Sam Elliott. <laughs> like, I know oh, that wow. beautiful hair anywhere and that mustache. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, Sam Elliott. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, but no, Ed Ladder was the one we actually had an experience with and he was very cool. So when I was watching Rocketeer again, I was like, I got to talk about Ed Ladder because he was a very cool guy and sadly passed away a few years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but, um, I think it was 2013. Yeah, it's 2013. I just looked him up because I, I was looking up his filmography and I'm like, I forgot he's in Death Wish 3. He's in not another teen movie. Uh, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. He mentioned Cujo. that. Oh, he mentioned that one too. He's like, I was the coach in not another teen movie. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, that was like 05 that we went on that trip. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ed Ladder was super cool. Uh, like, so, um, and he's good in this. He's a real, he's kind of a dick in this movie for the first part of it. He gets in a fight with Billy Campbell at the beginning and all that. But uh, um, uh, also I thought- oh, yeah, why don't you get in a job that pays? Oh yeah, that is him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I thought it was funny. That's a good beginning when um, Billy Campbell, he gets in the plane crashes that they were flying and he goes back, it's like flaming. He goes back to grab the Jennifer, Con- Jennifer Connelly picture. And I'm like, well, of course you have to, <laughs> like you, I would do the same thing, Billy Campbell. Like, <laughs> like I would go through flames to grab that photo. This is 1938 too. You don't have any other- Wade, you know, you got to get that back. So, uh, <laughs> true. That's true. It's true. You got to get that photo. So, um, <laughs> just how it is. Um, okay. What else? Uh, I have a really important question about the Rocketeer that I want to ask you if you have an answer to it. When sure. he's flying with the jetpack, how does he not burn his ass? <laughs> <laughs> or also melt the leather boots he's wearing to his body? Because I was looking at this time and I'm like, that flame is just going straight down. <laughs> I'm like, listen, movie, I can accept a lot of stuff, but I'm not <laughs> sure how this would be feasible for anybody to wear this thing. Their ass is just on fire. <laughs> I just, a stupid thing I had to bring up that really this time I was just noticing how like intense the flames were coming out of that thing. And I'm like, that's just got to light your whole bot back of your legs and ass on fire. <laughs> Well, yeah, especially like I, I think that is the the whole thing about steampunk, which this movie <laughs> kind of kind of skirts the the edges of of being considered as is oh, like yeah. there's all these things and and like I mean, granted, when they are testing the 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 jetpack out, that's when like it's like clear to the, to both Alan Arkin and Billy Campbell, it's like okay, this is a dangerous thing, and so <laughs> I'd like to think this is just me making my the movie up in my head. Bear with me, people. <laughs> um that when alan arkin toys with it because he explains to to howard hughes yeah, and there's yeah. that there's that great scene where howard hughes is like oh you put a rudder on the helmet how <laughs> how brilliant and it's just like oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> and he says he does some other stuff because i was thinking this time i was like jesus this rocket pack seems like you have no control over because they put it on that that statue to test it and it just fucking flies all over the place and there's <laughs> i'm like how do you even possibly control it but then like alan arkin says he's like i did this i did put I did a break on it i put this i'm like okay that kind of help explains but it still seems like wildly like dangerous and uncontrollable but um <laughs> i just wanted to bring it up i thought it's a movie i i suspend my disbelief i love it i just think it's funny i was like jesus like this thing seems like 
just not practical in any way. <laughs> like, and I think it's funny that both the Germans and the Americans are so desperate to build a jetpack. Like that's that's the whole crux of the the movie. <laughs> it's like we gotta build jetpacks. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, it's cool because uh, Joe Johnston. After this, he later did uh, October Sky, which is kind of uh, kind of his little Cold War Sputnik kind of a uh, period movie. That's like way more small scale. Um, but kind of plays into his n- nostalgia because I think the trend with with and I, I guess this is kind of uh, uh, where I wanted to what I wanted to ask you was um, do you think with journeyman directors it's possible to have kind of correlations between their work because I mean we did talk about earlier how this movie you know paved the way for Johnston to to be hired on for the first Avenger but there's other movies in, in Johnson's career that kind of point to like nostalgia um, uh, where like, cause like, again, October sky, but also um, uh, like he remade the Wolfman for oh, universal yeah. a few years mm-hmm. ago, like uh, I think, well, over 10 years ago, not even a few years ago, goodness. Um, and, and I mean, he did Jurassic park three, um, which, <clears throat> which I, I which, Okay. Okay. People are gonna hate me for this. Oh, I boy. actually actually like it. <laughs> oh, I, actually... Yeah, I think it's I think it's fine. Like I think it's okay. I I'd put it below the first two movies. I even like Lost World better than everyone's been crapping on Lost World. I'm like Lost World's not that bad. It's like it's I, I don't think it's because the first one, but I don't think it's that bad. Three. I just watched three on TV recently. One. I forgot how short it was. It's like an hour and a half flat, which is bananas for like any kind of blockbuster i feel like a tentpole like, yeah yeah tentpole yeah. movie i'm like an hour like 90 minutes what the hell and um i think it's fine like i just think it like kind of flies by and it's like all right i mean i don't think it's great but i just think it's like okay um, oh yeah I'd watch it before i ever watch fallen kingdom again but <laughs> it's like got a lot of problems with fallen kingdom but um uh wait you didn't like the screaming kid the whole time no. you didn't like him no, no, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> uh, I knew I knew you were kidding. I still no, and that clone girl at the end of don't even get me started on the clone girl. I, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, holy shit. Oh I left man. theaters. I was just telling my friend because we, we're gonna go by the time this episode comes out, the new Jurassic Park will be out in theaters. Um, and we're gonna go. My friend like loves Jurassic Park. He was on a dinosaur as a kid, and we both were we left Fallen Kingdom so angry. I could not remember the last time I left the movie, like <laughs> this mad, like steaming anger it's like what if i was just angry so we're still gonna they, they suck us back in with the, this one because they brought all the old people back and right, right. you know and i'm like it looks kind of good but now i'm starting to hear bad things about it i don't know it's, <laughs> it's i don't know we're still going but um i don't know i don't know what it's gonna be but i yeah so anyway jurassic park 3 i'll take that over fallen kingdom i think i'd still watch jurassic world before three but three's not bad but like joe johnson thing it's funny the journeyman thing like i was thinking about this when we talk, i was talking to patrick and like I don't see a lot of through lines in those guys' work. Joe Johnson, I feel like, is different because I feel like there's like a what's the word? I, I, like wholesomeness or like a like a like a there, a lack assass- of cynicism. Yeah, lack of cynicism. A real like nostalgic quality to a lot of his movies because um, the Rocketeer, uh, Jumanji kind of has that, uh, yeah, yeah. October Sky definitely. Uh, Hidalgo's like an I've never seen it, but I remember it kind of seemed like an old like school adventure type movie. Hidalgo's good. Hidalgo's okay, good. I, yeah, yeah. I, no, no one talks about it anymore. But yeah, it's like um, the Wolfman is like a throwback. Um, Captain America: First Avenger we talked about. Obviously, I think Joe Johnson got roped into this terrible <laughs> Nutcracker in the Four Realms movie because it has two directors credited, and I think it was like 
one of those messy movies where it's like we just need you to come finish this um right and he did some family stuff like we like, oh never mind i okay i looked up the rotten tomato score in hidalgo i have not seen it since i was a kid <laughs> i remember loving it so never mind <laughs> i kind of want to see it i kind of want to see it um uh i like most joe johnson movies like honey the kids is really good i liked page master a lot as a kid with Coley culkin i don't know how well liked page master is but i loved it um uh i mean it's pretty solid but he has like a there's like a nostalgic type quality to his work i feel like he's always doing like kind of stories that i feel like are usually set in the past or you know or like adventure type movies but like that seems to be the through line for his stuff so um well he came up um so he was a concept artist um for uh the original star wars so he has a relationship with lucas and spielberg like dating okay yeah way, well yeah. back into those days and then he actually co-designed Boba Fett. I didn't, I didn't know, know that. that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They moved, they literally moved him up the ranks of like each movie um, in that original trilogy. And of course they made him a full on art director uh, for Return of the Jedi. And then of course, in between, you know, those last two Star Wars, um, you know, he, he won an Oscar for visual effects for Rage of the Lost Ark. So he, he very much is cut from that same cloth that, the golden age of Spielberg is. And I think he carries that well into the rest of his career. Yeah, it does. He does have that, that feel. And uh, I forgot he had all that work before he was actually directing. So he's had a great career in movies. I mean, it's like, um, it does look like, I forgot he's directing that like sequel to Honey, Trent the Kids with Josh Gad and Rick Moranis supposed to be back. And Rick Moranis hasn't yeah. acted anything in like 20 years, I feel like. So um, I think that's still happening, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I like Joe Johnson. I, I think he's, I guess kind of underrated. He's had a great career, but I still kind of feel like people don't give enough credit for, you know, being a good director. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Rocketeer is just like, I was watching, it's like, it's so solidly made, looks good. I got to give a shout out to the James Horner score, especially yes. for that Tony Scott guy, our friend James, Hornerhead, hashtag Hornerheads out there. <laughs> uh, the James Horner score was so good. Like uh, when it opens, the credits are rolling. And they're opening the movie and the score is playing like, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, like, you just just chills go down anytime <laughs> I hear that theme. Like, it's such a good theme. And the thing about Horner, too, is that he 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 rips like he he like rips off himself a lot, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's even a like throughout his whole career, like there's even a scene um, in this movie. It's the it's the scene where um, uh, there's that there's that great bit of dialogue or, or maybe it's not a great bit because it's not well acted on purpose where. <laughs> Uh, Neville Sinclair is told, "Oh, Prince, would you, would you wait? Would would that you you drink of my lips as deeply?" And uh, like the scene right before that, where Timothy Dalton is like swinging on uh, a chandelier, and then drops down with his sword. You can hear the horns from Wrath of Khan. Like I was just like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" <laughs> like I had to rewind the the movie just to catch that. I was like, "Whoa!" Like he just he just did the Wrath of Khan stuff, and of course. Um, you know, he scored aliens. I mean, Avatar, um, um, which like, which if you listen to Avatar, there's definite notes that you hear in other, in previous Horner scores. So he, he did that through a lot of his career. And I wish, uh, I wish he was still scoring movies. You know, I, I wish he hadn't passed on. So, uh, so young. I, I can be honest with you. I completely forgot that he passed away. I, I, oh, wow. I feel bad. I hadn't even, was that, how long ago was that? Do you know? Uh, that was, so the Magnificent Seven, that was 26. Okay. So I, that might be, been like five years ago. Okay. Um, 
Because I, I want to say that was his last score. Okay, so it was 2015. Yeah, 2015 was when he passed. Wow, out. it was in a plane crash? I didn't, Man, I feel like I missed this whole story when he died. Like, Because I'm like, 61, what happened? I assumed like cancer or something but no he uh he was the only occupant of an aircraft yeah wow man that's sad i did yeah i fully miss that so yeah he was good i mean he's he man i'm looking at his movies now like he was really good like mask of zorro he worked on that um man yeah he he's good um paul 13 yeah yeah man um and his score is one of the best parts of rocketeer and i love rocketeer but it's like yeah when that started over the credits it's like oh man this is this is quality stuff right here so um I do want to get your take on this. I feel like I so want to talk about, it. but it's like the, did you read about the alternate uh, cast possibilities for this movie? I did a little bit and I was kind of blown away <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this because yeah, they go with Billy Campbell, who's not a name really at all. And like people fought them on it. And uh, Joe Johnson, I think fought for Billy Campbell. I think like um, Jeffrey Katzenberg who's like the head of Disney at the time. Um, didn't like him but kevin costner and matthew modine were the first people considered for the role which is funny you mentioned robin hood opening the same time and kevin costner kevin costner would be too old i would think at this time he's not that old this time but i to, i don't know maybe he to me remember he seems older i don't know why but like yeah um, he always he has that like again like i think billy campbell has that youthfulness about him and and costner always feels like he's not quite grumpy but he's almost there um yeah that's how how he feels to me you know i don't i wouldn't have i don't think i want him as rocketeer matthew dean i've never been a big matthew modine guy i I just (laughs) like i just don't think he's that great in i mean like i don't think he's ever like well i don't know i I, he just never pops for me in anything like um i don't know but yeah and the other one so they weren't available so then they started going through other people dennis quaid maybe Hmm. kurt russell i don't again at this time it's like i i want a younger guy Bill Paxson would have been kind of fun. I could have, uh, Emilio Estevez. I probably could have seen Emilio Estevez doing. I could, this. I could see, I could see Estevez, but Estevez, I, I feel like would would, I feel like I wouldn't buy him as like being so doe-eyed in front of Jennifer Connelly. I feel like he would be like talking her the whole time, like, hey, <laughs> like we gotta get the ducks together. Like, come on, we got get, get gotta get the team to win. You know, well, like I'm Coach Gordon like Bombay. That's the- uh, even before. <laughs> uh, makes no sense. Um, yeah, he's like I don't know. It, it, yeah, he's I could see that one, but yeah, um, Vincent D'Onofrio turned him down. Uh, very interesting because he's very different. Vin- young Vincent D'Onofrio is so different from Vincent D'Onofrio now. It's like two different yeah. people, I feel like, when I watch young him versus now. Um, I'm scared to even mention this person because the news has been nothing but this person lately. I'm going to say it real quick. We're going to move on. Johnny Depp was almost... Uh, uh, Johnny Depp was like the top Disney's favorite choice. Um, and apparently... It was, in that, it was in that Cryberry Baby era too, like right yeah. after that, I want to say. I could see him at that time, but again, it's like... I don't know. He's missing something. Like, I don't know. He's almost like too much for a pretty boy at that time. He's like too cool, I feel like. I don't know. Yeah. He's kind of a weirdo. I don't know. But um, <laughs> Billy Campbell's a good choice. Um, I even feel like uh, like some Billy Zane from The Phantom. I almost feel like young Billy Zane could have done this. Maybe. Um, I agree. I, and uh, okay, for the Jenny role, for Jennifer Connelly's role, which perfect casting but let's just listen to the other options um, <laughs> um all good cheryl and fenn from twin peaks and other things but yeah good kelly preston great diane lane wonderful um mm-hmm. elizabeth mcgovern who why am i blinking who I, I know the name but i'm totally 
Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, again, good choices, but you know, no Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> like that's, that's pretty fantastic. Um, oh, and this is good. The part of Neville Sinclair offered to Jeremy Irons and Charles Dance. Who, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Both great bad guys. Charles Dance for my beloved last section hero. Uh, is an amazing, amazing <laughs> bad guy. That I do. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I have to mention every time it comes up. Um, and Jeremy Irons, yeah, that, but Timothy Dalton is. Oh, and last but not least, Eddie Valentine, the Paul Savino role, was written with Joe Pesci in mind, but he turned him down too. Um, definitely oh, going to see Pesci. Goodness. That would have been fun. I that one, I'm kind of like, oh, I, yeah, I kind of want to see that actually. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of want, I kind of want to redo with with Joe Pesci. Like, yeah. I mean, Can we digitally you, put yeah, the Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul Servino is really good. I mean, he he plays that whole thing he again is. so well. Um, that's tough, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the way it is, I I really enjoy. It. But I thought it was so all the alternate casting was so interesting to read about because I didn't know like any of that before we were doing this episode. And the funny thing about the the Cliff role is like almost none of those guys work for me when I read them out loud. Like, and I'm like so glad they went with Billy Campbell. <laughs> so because um, and oh, I don't think I finished this thought earlier that. Um, him and Jennifer Connelly have great chemistry and I didn't, again, till today when I was reading didn't realize they actually dated in real life at the time. Oh wow, I see I didn't know that either, wow. Yeah, Joe Johnson was like, he was really happy about it because he thought it made the movie better <laughs> because he's like, oh awesome, you guys are dating because I think the chemistry comes through. I do love too that they they have little fights like a couple would have like I, I feel like she's like, oh you're jealous and he's like, no, like he's actually a bad guy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, even before that, when they're in the diner. Oh, I also I love that diner that's shaped like a dog. I was like, great production design. Uh, <laughs> like, um, such a cool little set. But yeah, they have like little fights, and I feel like they feel like real fights a couple might have. Like that, but they have the chemistry too. Like, um, I mean, they feel like a legit couple, and apparently they were. So it all played into it. But um, yeah, they're great. I mean. Well, I think uh, yeah. I think Connolly too. Going back to her really quick, like I think what what struck me about all those names you mentioned, especially like Diane Lane and Sherilyn Finn, I, I feel like um, maybe this just because I'm young, but anytime I hear Diane Lane's name, I think about all the Lifetime movies my mom would watch and I would walk in on where it's like <laughs> always some like sultry shit. <laughs> like like I feel like I feel like Richard Gere is like right there behind her anytime I I hear Diane Lane's name, but. <laughs> that's nonetheless uh, like that's the thing i feel like there's a there's an iciness to a lot of those actresses maybe not all of them but certainly like when i hear sherlyn finn's name like i'm just like okay you you have a lot more going on like i feel like you get those people when you're going for like the ne the, the the nev campbell type of roles whereas jennifer connelly has you look at her and you just like are like oh my god she's so pure you know and i think that's what serves her really well and and even when she goes darker in movies like Requiem for a dream like i think it's that it's that purity to to her her look and her demeanor that makes that that performance that much more tragic and i think when you juxtapose that in this movie with billy campbell's um you know, I just want to use this rocket to 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 do well this air show to make more money for the both of us. Like that genuity is what is what we kind of imagine her her ending up with. And so I think through their chemistry, through her performance, through what she does, uh, because I, I appreciate that this movie goes out of its way to not make her the damsel in distress. 
mm-hmm. traditionally speaking, that you that you see in a lot of the the old serials and that kind of thing. Um, I think all of that coalesces together in the in the real as the real heart of the movie that just wouldn't work. I don't think with any other two a- uh, actors. Um, although I will say I, I do going back to Joe Pesci just really quick. Like I do kind of <laughs> want want him to be. I, I do just want to see the version of that scene where he talks. He finds out Timothy Dalton's a Nazi. And he's just like, I'm 100 percent fucking American, and I'm not working <laughs> with you. Like I just I just want to see that so bad. But, yeah, he has to swear. I don't think it's right. I mean, it's, I know it's a PG <laughs> movie, but we got to get he a couple of for Pesci. We I can't. Yeah, uh, he does pretty well in Home Alone without swearing. He does all the. He does all the noises where he's like fucking like he's just like apparently I did read that he just couldn't stop swearing in Home Alone like and they had to make him make sounds to so like he just had to kind of find an alternative because like they would do all these scenes and he would just swear just by he would just do it and they're like no Joe you can't swear and he's like all right I'll make all these noises like uh it's kind of like what I said with uh Patrick I'm talking about how we want like Firestarter from John Carpenter, even though we like the Markel Lester Firestarter, it's like mm-hmm. I don't want to erase the one to get the other, but I'm like, I need someone just to redo the scene, like not get rid of the Paul Savino scene, but do it with Joe Pesci. Uh, and, you know, I'm 100% fucking American. I had no idea Firestarter was a Markel Lester movie until y'all's episode. Like, yeah, I thought that yeah. was interesting. Yeah. People don't talk about it. He's a, again, that guy directors. So you don't hear his name attached to the movie a lot. It's like, you know, the movie, and then like, oh, Markel Lester, but I had no idea. Um, but yeah, I, so, okay, back to like Rocketeer. I, it's funny because I was thinking, like, I think Top Gun Maverick's on the brain, but I was thinking, like, the thing I enjoy about Rocketeer too is that, like, that movie, this is a normal, person normal guy who just has this contraption oh you know and he's just trying to make it work and he you know not die basically and like fight the bad guys and uh like there's a real fun quality of like you know it's like he's just a man so he could be hurt very easily the freaking jetpack could blow up and kill him but it's you know um he's just a guy time you know trying the right thing with us with a cool helmet that I like that art. I, I, the look of that helmet is so great. Like that art deco, like <sighs> such a great design. On it's that. gorgeous. Like, I can't. Yes. It's beautiful. And uh, yeah, I just was like, this is so fun to like, it just stakes a normal guy with a freaking jetpack <laughs> fighting Nazis. <laughs> and, uh, and it's basically a steampunk movie, but it's very low tech about it. Like it, it's not super heady with the science fiction aspects, which I think, again going back to like how we probably took it as kids like i think that's what makes this such a great family adventure movie is that uh, what we're getting from it now as we're talking about it tonight like these are all the tertiary aspects that make this this world what it is uh but but since it is that low tech very high stakes very human story it's very easy for the whole family to connect to and at the same time, it's throwing back to what Indiana Jones was throwing back to, which was that imagination of, hey, this guy can be heard any time, but he's so crafty and so clever that it's not just through through Braun that he can fight his way uh, or run away from this boulder. It's like, I have to use my whip. I have to use like the resources around me to get out of this cliffhangery contraption. And, and, that's, and that's very much what... Um, Cliff Secord is, 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 is his, his characterization is reveling in. Um, and I think 
I think too, like I love the iconography. There's two scenes I want to call out. Um, mm. There's the there's the shot um, that I think is really prominent in all of our minds when we think of this movie. We we see the, the kind of the Captain America shot of him uh, going in front of like the the U.S. flag as he puts on the helmet, and then yeah, Paul yeah. Savino goes, "Go get him, kid!" Like, <laughs> yeah. And that scene's amazing. <laughs> I was gonna call that out. I love that Paul Savino gets that line too with the "Go get him, kid!" and then like great like just a great image of him again. Like, I don't see, I don't think myself super patriotic, but that moment I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> the flag, like go get him rocketeer. Like go get um, that Nazi. Yeah. It works. Yeah. <laughs> it, it works. Um, what's the other one you're going to call out? I'm curious now. Cause that's the one I was thinking of was the him in front of the flag, but yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's, that's the, that's like the money shot of the movie. But the scene yeah. that I love is um, there's a shot right before that. Whenever like cliff finds out that, uh, well, it's, it's after Cliff sees that um, uh, Neville's men are going after Jenny in in the uh, in the nightclub, and so he puts on a suit. He he flies down. It's such great visual trickery because you see it on the wall of one of the walls of the nightclub where the shadow of the Rocketeer flies down, and then out of the shot um, comes in the actual character as he takes off his helmet, and so it's like, oh, that's really cool, and like. Because I think what's missing with a lot of the, um, a lot of modern superhero movies, I think um, a lot of what DC's doing this year has been really cool, like the Batman and, and stuff like that. Like, I think they're nailing the iconography of superheroes um, um, really well. But I will say, like, in these past, kind of this whole phase of Marvel, um, I, I don't really get that. Like, like when Iron Man comes comes through in Avengers, like the first one, he's flying in and he's talking to Pepper. Like, that's like, oh shit, this is Iron Man, you know? Um, again, like going back to the Captain America scene in that movie where you see Cap for the first time, he's punching the bag. It's like, oh shit, like this is just, they're not even doing shit, but they're, it's pumping me up. And, I, and that's what that shot feels like to me. It feels like, okay, even though the Rocketeer has has only existed for less than 24 hours in this universe. This is, this is his hero moment. This is the moment where he's going to get the rescue, rescue his woman. He's going to, you know, cl uh, collapse the bad guy's plan. Um, and yeah, here we go movie. And, and it's just <laughs> such a, I don't know, something about that shot really just gets me. And, and I wish more superhero movies nowadays uh, kind of had moments like that. Yeah. I mean, they don't, I mean, they do and they don't, I guess. It's like, I feel like they don't have moments that, that look that good. I mean, so much because it's so much of it is like digital now too. You know, it's like, <laughs> not, I mean, not people in front of real things, but uh, right, right. you're making me think too that like, another thing all these movies seem to have in common, maybe not the Phantom, but they have, there's always like a nightclub setting at some point. That's like a hangout. Like, yeah, uh, nightclub looks great in, in The Rocketeer. Like, I love the design of the whole uh, Seven Seas Club or the South Seas Club. I'm blinking. It would, but yeah, like oh yeah, Melora Hardin randomly singing from The Office. That was like a, uh, I think Jan, was she Jan on The Office? The woman saying, "Have you watched?" The yeah, Office. yeah, I yeah, had yeah. That written down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the club looks great. I love again. Another thing keeps happening. Uh, people busting through skylights. Like it's like <laughs> a big. I think I swear, Batman again. Like you got to go through a skylight. You come in through the skylight, go out the skylight. Something. It looks cool. It always looks cool to bust in or out of a skylight. And uh, there's just so much they were pulling from each other. I feel like and yeah. I mean yeah. There's so much just great looking stuff in this movie. So much great iconography and like um, so many memorable shots and just. I mean yeah. It's like 
I don't Joe Johnson clearly has like a real love for this kind of stuff and like wants to I feel like show it off in a way and like um yeah I don't know I love the look of it and I feel like it has so many just yeah great little little moments like you've already called out um yeah I don't know it's uh it's just I was watching in this time and like I don't think it's a perfect movie but I really really like it I think it just feels special um and very like I think it's aged really well I think it has too I was gonna say I think it's aged really well it's like it's so like not cynical like you like you mentioned that earlier I think but it's like this Joe Johnson's lack of cynicism and stuff which is like really refreshing um it's funny it's heartfelt it has a good romance I'm like this is like what what else could I want you know it's got good action like <laughs> um the Zeppelin set piece is so good at the end like um Oh yeah, well he's fighting Lothar. Oh man, my god! Yeah, well, Loth- it's funny the movie. Like, I don't know if I can call the whole thing grounded, but Lothar, it's like he almost feels like he walks in from a different movie. It's I mean I don't really have a problem with it, but he he almost feels like he feels Dick kind Tracy. of odd. Yeah, he does. He does <laughs> yes, exactly. He feels like a Dick Tracy character got loose into Rocketeer. Um, like he wandered off the set and they just put him in the movie. But um, uh, I. <laughs> He's, I mean, I like him. I just think it's funny because he feels like everybody else is a, you know, normal looking. There's a lot of weird looking guys in Dick Tracy, so he fit right in. But this one, it's like, he's like the odd man. I guess that's like, he's like the Jaws, like from Bond of this movie. You know, it's like uh, the big henchman. But uh, he's so, it's a weird, another, like a weird touch. Like there's just like these like little odd touches that are like, I appreciate that. It makes it unique. So, um, uh, well, I he's funny. based on, uh, He's actually based on uh, an uh, an actor by the name of Rondo uh, Hatton, who I believe yes, was I like in a this. lot of genre movies. Yeah. yeah, genre movies from from that time period and stuff like that. So I, I think that that's really cool that they kind of um, they don't. It's not them modernizing it, but like they use him as as the like you said, like the Richard Keel type because he was he was seven foot tall, and and I think the actual actor who played him in the movie um, I forgot his name, uh, but. He's he's in the in police squad like uh, as uh, the cop who's so tall that he's out of frame. So it's just which it, is such a silly gag, but um, that that's what we're that's what we're doing here. That's why how we're treating our our seven foot tall uh, kings. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I weirdly almost feel bad for him when he dies. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like he's been a bad guy the whole movie, but for some reason I weirdly. I don't know, maybe it's the way he goes because he gets stuck on that cord. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why I feel that way because he hasn't done anything, I think, redeemable. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they make Jaws and Bond like kind of redeemable at a certain point, right? Am I like Moonraker? Is that when he gets. Goofy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually rewatched that last weekend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I, saw, I saw you were going to the Bond movies. Yeah. And like maybe I was thinking of that. I don't know. I just feel kind of bad because he seems like a kind of a big oaf and he probably was manipulated by some people. I don't know. But I'm like, when he gets stuck in his little cord and he can't get loose, I'm like, oh can't turn your life around Lothar it's, it's I don't know I don't well, I know think why that's the, <laughs> I think that's the kid in us you know like I think because uh Jaws in in the Bond movies uh was uh he was supposed to die at the end of Spy Who Loved Me oh, uh-huh. but it, it was Cubby Broccoli's kid uh, I think it was his kid or it was either him or Lewis Gilbert's kid the director who was like hey I love Jaws like why does he have to die and so they they wrote him into the next movie and so uh, that's why that he has that 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 Jesus that redemption arc in Moonraker. Uh, goodness, it, it just I, I, it's like literally it's, to say. 
it is. It's it's um, like it's fresh in my mind because I literally just watched it. I'm like, yeah, this is why I don't I don't watch this movie often. Um, <laughs> but 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 no, like there's a um, I think in the case of this movie, I think it gets to us because because I'm I'm like you. I'm kind of like, yeah, Lothar is kind of cool. I don't know. He's just seems <laughs> he's terrible, but I kind of want to give him a hug. I don't know, man. <laughs> they do give him the uh, this John Woo moment. He gets to fire those two pistols at one point. <laughs> it's like true, it's, true. Uh, yeah that whole scene in the house is pretty great i almost forgot about that a little set piece in the house when it's just like like tommy guns again it's like I well, cause when this, he, yeah because when he does the john woo thing like literally <laughs> that's what got me like uh someone through the door like flies after they get shot like they oh, literally yeah. fly backwards i was like whoa <laughs> whoa now <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty pretty over the top but it's it's fun that uh that whole set piece is pretty wild i should i realized i should have called this whole era this whole series we're doing like tommy guns and something because i feel like that's like one of the the through lines like is uh is, yeah every movie is like oh yeah uh gangsters and tommy guns and yeah and and uh fancy clubs and skylight breaking that's the whole <laughs> that's the whole thing it wouldn't be that would not be the title it's too wordy but uh <laughs> oh god it's late people we're trying um so <laughs> i uh I don't, let me check my notes. I don't know if I have anything else to say about The Rocketeer besides uh, I love it. I hope no one's disappointed. I kind of made a joke on Twitter. I would do 30 minutes on Jennifer Connelly, and I uh, I don't think I did, but I tried. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to be too much of a weirdo, guys. Come on. Um, but, uh, just everyone watch Career Opportunities, and it's, you know, <laughs> Preston, please watch it. Give me your thoughts on it at some point. <laughs> I'm writing it down. Hey, I'm yeah. I'm serious. I'm like, that That sounds so, so bizarre that I have to have that in my eyeballs at some point. So. <laughs> Oh, also, I do love, I mentioned Timothy Dalton's death scene, but then I forgot that his death scene ends with him destroying the land part of the Hollywood land sign. So it just becomes right. the Hollywood sign. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's pretty <laughs> great stuff. I forgot how much they played with the old Hollywood thing because, like you mentioned, W.C. Fields comes into that club. I don't know who the hell that was for a long time when I was younger. There's a quick Clark Gable reference. I think Timothy Dalton says, like, hey, Clark. And it's a guy that kind of like Clark Gable. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's and funny. Then w- oh, Jimmy anyway. Cagney is referenced. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Because um, because Cliff compares uh, Neville Sinclair unfavorably to him. Oh yeah. Because um, <laughs> that's his favorite actor, which is funny. Um, I mean, I mean, and also too, like, I mean, there's uh, this movie reminds me. It just reminds me more of Donner's Superman than Burton's Batman, and and mm-hmm. just in the because there's that great uh, there's that great scene after that that amazing save at the air show where uh cliff is like flying and he can't control the jetpack and there's that scene where like the the two guys see him flying from afar and they're just like oh that's a big gopher and um and that reminds me of superman where like uh young clark kent is running for the first time and uh you see like little lois lane in the in the in the train you know watch this guy run and she's like she's like egging her mom on and then her mom's like lois stop and it's just like okay that's a i don't know if that's quite what they were going for but but it's it's those little odd moments like that that just trigger the the kid in you you know yeah yeah i uh i was thinking too it's funny like again i know batman keeps coming up but batman 89 is very big over most of these movies but like i said i don't think that's really influencing them as much like it helps them get made but maybe like the shadow is the most the closest to the batman because it's kind of dark and mysterious but like um, well the shadow character influenced the creation of batman right oh yeah yeah right yeah so uh those two are a little more tied but everything else is way more of like a fun bright adventure movie for the most part and uh 
Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, and it's there. Yeah. I think the Superman comparison is way more apt. Like, I think that's influenced them more than they realize and Indiana Jones, especially, um, just that kind of stuff. And yeah, I don't know. I would, there was, there's a great scene in Rocketeer almost about to mention, like when it might be the first time Cliff uses the jetpack when, uh, when he goes up to save that guy, the clown flying the plane. <laughs> just, That's right. Yeah. Some great stuff. I pretty, I mean, unless I'm mistaken, I think some of that is a real stunt man on a plane, <laughs> like doing like on an actual plane on the outside, kind of climbing around on it. I'm like that just, Oh, wow. Yeah. I, it, there's, I think there's some special effects mixed in, but I think for some wide shots, like they just had a stunt man on the, on that plane. I'm pretty sure. And I remember thinking this looks really good. I was like, I need more of this again. I know Tom Cruise would agree. He's all, you know, about doing practical stunts. So, um, <laughs> great practical stunt work i mean there are some optical effects that like i think have aged charmingly <laughs> like you know it's like i don't think in context time, of the movie that this is i yeah, agree with you like the movie is i think they were i don't think they were meant to be like the most realistic effect of him flying you know but um i think they work and uh you know most of it looks still pretty good um yeah i think it's held up pretty it's held up pretty well it's like it's funny when you make a movie that's kind of out of time when you're making it like you're making a nineties movie based on the thirties or forties or whatever. Um, it almost holds up better because it's like, it's already, it's already <laughs> out of step with that time anyway. And it's like, you know, I don't know. I, I find this movie very charming. I was going back and forth about what's my favorite of these four movies talking about. And I'm bouncing between Dick Tracy and Rocketeer. I feel like Dick Tracy might have the edge, but I think the more I'd watch both of them, I think, rocketeer might keep holding up better i don't know but um is this your favorite of the four of like shadow phantom dick tracy rocketeer is this your favorite it, it is it's okay. it's the one that i watched the most growing up um so it, it's it's the closest to me um it, it's the reason why when you kind of put out feelers for this series i immediately was like can i do the rocketeer like just because it, it, it's i mean in addition to being the one that I have the most to say about, I mean, it, it's, it's just such a part of my childhood, really how I came into movies and uh, being such an old Hollywood movie fan, especially, um, and a fan of action. It, it really hits me in that nexus point. Um, and that's not to say that the other movies don't like, uh, like, again, I, I love the hell out of the shadow Um goodness I, I have so many fond memories of watching the phantom with my mom like slam evil smash evil Trent williams hell yeah <laughs> uh, but but there's something about this movie in the in the um this is the sincerity of it that whenever i go back to it i'm always like man why don't we get more movies like this and it, yeah, it it's yeah. and it it gives me it, it elicits that old man sentiment out of me while at the same time <laughs> it has me reverting back to being five years old. Like it's a, it's just a weird, it's a weird one of its kind movie that even though there's other movies like it, I don't think there's no other movie from this time is quite like this one. Like it just hits me in that special, like from J James Horner's score to the performances to the, the way that it, that it is so, uh, uh, the way that it venerates the history and, and, but also it venerates thirties history uh, without being a thirties movie. Like it, it very much plays by the rules of 1930s movies. And that's a very, 
distinct demarcation to to mark with this kind of thing is that mm. it's not realistic it's it's fantasy and, and the movie is just like hey it's okay to like this right and, and i love that about it yeah it's like it's okay to be a little corny and very sincere and that's okay it's like everything now has to be so like winking i feel like you know it's like um mm-hmm. it, i don't i mean i don't i don't think this really is it's just not joe johnson's thing i feel like i think he just genuinely like loves this stuff so um yeah, I don't know. I really like The Rocketeer. It, it's held up very well. Um, I think all the stuff you just said kind of wrapped us up perfectly. I don't even know what to add. So um, I can just add, I love Jennifer Connelly. I <laughs> 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 love her. I hope I didn't disappoint anybody when I'm talking about her enough. I know I joked about that on Twitter. I, I think I said plenty. Uh, but <laughs> so, hey, man, I, I'm not mad at you, man. I, I, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I figured I figured you would be. Um, you were like, I don't. Uh, you're like Matt. No, I don't. I don't. I'd be like, what? What's going on, Preston? Are you okay? Uh, <laughs> I know I eject you from this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, you're like, I'm logging off. I'm logging off. I'm ending the call. This is done. Um, no, no. But um, yeah, no, it's great. So I'm excited for that new Rocketeer series. I hope that uh, that happens and captures even some of the magic of the movie. It will be in good in good shape, I would say. So. Um, yeah, I was just shocked to see uh, David Oyelowo was was a. It, it sounds like he's a fan because because him and his wife are producing it and uh, they have interesting people attached to it so far. There hasn't been a lot of news about it since, but mm-hmm. I think this is a good time to just like kind of get ready for a surprise this year. Maybe like I think um, just knowing how fast Disney pumps stuff out, especially their shows. Um, maybe that's not a good thing to frame this as, but, <laughs> but I, but I think, uh, but I mean, just being a, again, being a Rocketeer fan, being a fan of, uh, I would say I'm a, I'm a Johnston fan. I definitely love what he's done with the superhero genre. I mean, I, again, uh, like we, like we said earlier, like the first Avenger is literally one of my favorite MCU movies. And, and, um, because of that same, kind of aw shucksness and 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 kind of thing and that movie is very 1940s as far as the media and the the the, the homages that's kind of mixing together um and i think it's a great i mean if if anyone you know was interested to do that as a double feature you know like i think that's the way to go is is this back to back with that i think because i did that before um back in college i want to say and it, it was it, it it hit very well uh with me so yeah oh nice that's yeah i like that um also i probably should read the comics at some point the rocketeer comics uh, like i looked on amazon we started doing this and it says the rocketeer complete adventure is only 16 dollars on amazon so oh wow i need to get okay and we had to put that on my wish list <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could add that. um but yeah okay well Preston, this was a ton of fun i had so much fun talking to you um and again, thank you for being patient. We started this episode. I had so many technical difficulties. So, um, but it was a great time. It was a great time talking to you. Um, thank you for doing this. I'm glad you love this movie as much as I do. So um, uh, I will let you go ahead and, and just plug maybe the upcoming podcast appearances, recent podcast stuff, people can follow you, all, all that good stuff. Sure, sure. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Presto Mitt, uh, P-R-E-S-T-O-M-I-T. Or letterboxed at uh, P R E S T O underscore M I T C H. Um, I'm always uh, watching movies, always like writing uh, elongated pieces about them. So yeah, just follow me there if you're in that sort of thing. Um, coming up, um, uh, by the time this this episode comes out, um, I believe um, 
uh, my latest appearance in Shock, uh, Schlock and Awe will uh, will will be around the same time. Um, it um, I went on Lindsay's podcast uh, most recently to talk about um, two movies based on plays, which I'm really excited to uh, to talk about. One of them is 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 from the 1930s, so I get to kind of. <laughs> Mm-hmm. indulge myself in 1930s film uh yet again so i'm very excited you know for hopefully people like that um and then uh there's also a couple of others uh crazy stuff coming up um on some of our friends podcasts as well so i'm um uh really excited for that to happen and uh and yeah um thank you matt for having me this was so much fun oh yeah you're welcome no this was a blast um uh and yes everyone should check out press and stuff your great podcast guest and uh, a very positive person to follow on twitter which we need more people like you on twitter like uh who just posting positive things and yeah you know just bringing good uh good energy around so um definitely appreciate that about you so um uh yeah let me oh god for our stuff i hope this like by the time at this point i'm always like what what's our stuff uh (laughs) like my brain is mush um but uh you can follow the podcast on twitter at film feast pod you can follow me on twitter at maplet 87 um follow me and the podcast on instagram at film feast all one word um and that's it for this time we will see you next time everybody Bye. bye everybody